Welcome to episode 138 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 56 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were turboed by Turbo Outrun, confused by Xenophobe, and tortured by Top Gun. This week we conclude our look at the games in December 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, will we see the year out with a bang or a whimper? With a journey that began 27 episodes ago, we finally reached the last episode for 1989, and what a whopper it is too, packed tighter than a teenager's makeup bag for their holidays. We start this final episode of 1989 with a speedy bears around some impressive roller coaster inspired elevated roadways in the altogether incredible Stunt Car Racer. Take the pace down several action notches and head upwards and then upwards again on a motor-powered hot dog sausage as we attempt to complete the missions of Action Fighter and then assume the form of a tinned ham-coloured monster as we rise from our gravy in the expanded horror of Altered Beast. It seems crazy that we began this journey with guff like Archura. Maybe we can finish there on a high. Hmm. In our final cluster of games, we get our armies to line up on a convenient grid and then send them plodding around the board looking to commit regicide in battle chess. Slip into our best flying jackets, pop our goggles on and take off into the skies looking for airfix models to shoot down in the lumpy. Spitfire, try and understand the logic behind top-down side-scrolling football in the illogical world of the 8-bit deport of kickoff before finally taking a deep breath and then making sure we have the right jeans on and do the appropriate dance moves to impress the girls before going on a nonsensical journey through some half-arsed mythological stupid in the polished production world of myth. From episode 111 right the way through to episode 138, what a mad old journey, a sea of dog eggs and utter rubbish with some occasional tasty bits. But when those tasty bits are good, they're usually very good. 1989, let's finish this. Who knows? Dunno. I don't know. Don't know. Uh, it's hard to say with this lot coming up. Yeah, it's it's an it's been a weird December. Well, <laughs> obviously, but in in 1989, it, it was, was a strange s- month. Something weird's going on. It's like somebody stumbled across a uh, some kind of skip full of arcade games and like, hey, up! No one's done any of them. <laughs> loads of them. Loads of them. We have had a a lot of rebe- a yeah. slew. It's been a slew. We don't often use the word slew. It's an unusual word to measure anything of consequence, but there has been indeed a slew. A slew of uh, arcade <laughs> conversions. There has indeed, yeah. Um, this is it. This is the last. This is it. This is this is 1989. This is 1989. Once this one's done, 1989 is done. It is. Yes. Yes, it's the done. year of the crab is done. <laughs> I feel like we have walked sideways through this year. So it's always a good way. I meant to look back. I'm going to do it for the when we do the Breadbin Awards, but I'm, I meant to look back at what we said 
at the end of January, uh, sorry, uh, the end of December 19, 1988. The end of the Breadwinner World, wasn't it? See what we were going to look forward to. I just want to review that and sort of go. So I'm going to review that for when we do the Breadwinner Awards for this year. Look back and see if there are any of those things, any predictions were right or whether we were, you know, whether we were well off the mark. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a it's been a year. And to get us through um, this last part of December, we have seven games, seven games this week. It's a bumper crop. A bumper it is a crop. bit of a bumper crop, that. Yeah, um, but odd. you know, com- compared odd, to the last few, but uh, yeah. Yeah. yes, <laughs> some so, big uh, scorers in this one, though, is not there? There's some big scores amongst this seven. There's a couple of uh, it's not big, quite the big, magnificent uh, titles. There's <laughs> just some big, some big scores in there. What's a ninety-four and eighty-five? There's some big numbers in there. There's two ninety-fours. Yeah, some might say one's too high, and some might say one's too low. Yes, maybe you're right. We'll, but I'm I don't sure know we'll which. Figure but we'll all come to them, or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that just maybe me. Should we get onto them? Should we get into these games? Yeah, yeah, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. We, we don't have a cover or anything to look forward to. So let's get into our first of these seven games. And as you said, this is one of those big ones. This is Stunt Car Racer. Stunt Car Racer. There you go. Uh, £9.99, 94%. It's got, it was a sizzler, a mm. sizzle. It did mm. sizzle. Um, and it's, a, like I said, another big one to start off the week. It's another title from the mind and programming skills of one Jeff Crammond. Ah, yes, um, Mr. Crammond. Good, that good man old can certainly is. cram stuff into the C64, if you'll pardon that pun. He does seem to be able to do that, doesn't he? He's got a he knack. Does, yeah, he does. After revs and the Sentinel, he returns to the C64 with one of the most interesting 3D races on the machine, I'd say. This was released by MicroStyle, scored, a, like I said, a whopping 94%, giving it Sizzler status. That's in the same issue that Turbo Outrun got a gold medal, though. Thank you very much. Hey, have you seen it? Marge Simpson sounds around. Or is it Hoover? We don't know. I don't know. The autovac is on autovac. Anyway... Yeah, we got so we just Cameron on code, as I said, and John Cumming of Zynaps and Rainbow Islands fame on graphics, and he did ah. the title screen as well, which is Ooh. a decent rendition of the front cover of the box, being a sort of yes, because you, you drag drag racing in it, it's kind of drag racing, sort of you're in a drag style uh, car type um, thing, looks like a drag race, it's got a big not, front end, no, it's not uh, like one, but it's got like one of those big front ends, it's all sort of pointy to the front. It's not quite a drag racer, but it's it's insane. <laughs> it's not a drag racer at all, but all right. No. There's also a story to this, and I'm going to read it to you and in a, and in my best accent to boot. I, did, to prepare I didn't yourself. know that was I didn't actually know there was a story for this, so I'm interested. Oh, you, you wait. Oh, there's a story. Wow. Okay. <laughs> there's loads there's loads of story. It's Mad. Been, this episode will be about four hours long. No, um, no, don't. All right, here we go. You weren't no racing rookie. You'd served your time on the old Formula One tracks before the cars got too quick for them and they all got shut down after the 2006 season. What was it they said again? Oh, yeah, safety. You have to well, read it in this accent. What accent is that? What accent is it meant to be? I don't care. It's somewhere in America. You never managed to work that one out. Hell, everybody knew the only reason people went to those old F1 races in the 90s was on the off chance of seeing some hash-egged sucker silt himself against a Kevaprine guardrail. Gosh. This... The geeks up in Sencom who'd banned Formula One were just riled because they weren't getting their nice little rake-off from the race promoters. Jeez, what a joke. <laughs> now, here you were. Your number had come up. All the bribes had paid off, and you were on the stunt car circuit at last. You'd come through the last days of Formula One more or less in one piece. The left leg was still rated at 76% efficiency the last time you'd been able to afford to have it checked out. Sure, that Australian shunt in 02 had re-rated your right leg down to 35 
but you could manage with that. Anyway, if the cramps came back, the accelerator pedal was as good a place as any to rest it against. <laughs> One thing was for certain, the synth-plast foot on the end of that gnarly old right leg wouldn't be going anywhere near the brake pedal in a Div 4 stunt race. Division okay. 4. Shoot, things were really getting bad. Div 4 was for wimps, computer programmers, and mummers boys. The cheesy old track you'd picked from the McFacts listings was hardly worth the transcore fare. But rules are rules, as the man said. To get up to where you belong, back up here there with the big boys in Division 1, you've got to mix it with the Herbies again. That's what he'd said. If, no, when, you get through the Penny Andy tracks in 4, that would be one step closer to the big one, where all the creds are, where the living is good and the beer still has alcohol in it. Division 1. It'd be so good to upstay some of those silk-scarfed jerkwaters up there in the green zone. Hell, some of those guys in Div 1, they haven't even earned the right to race in a Div 4 night reserve match. That creep daredevil, for example, <laughs> oh, sure, he knows how to throw his car around all right, but under that beauty parlor complexion, the guy's just a blown-up hot chap with a big ego and a few friends in the right places. Hey, I'm not saying anything you understand, at least nothing I'd like to repeat within range of a sit-scan, but if he's so good, why does he have to come out and strut his stuff at these backwards Div 4 meets? And that other guy, Roadhog, Roadhog. He's here as well, slumming it with the rest of his low lives. I guess both these characters are expecting to tan our hides here, you know, just to show who's the boss. Well, maybe they might be in for a little shock. I may not have the hottest motor in town, but it ain't far off. And I've got one of those, one thing over on both of these prima donnas. Experience. Yeah, <laughs> I was a pretty good driver in the old days. Set a few lap records, grabbed a handful of pole positions, surprised a few people. It wasn't my fault. I got hitched up to the wrong team with the wrong cars and the wrong engines. Don't get me wrong. I know this stunt car stuff is different. I'm not stupid. Maybe the old F1 cars did only touch 285 when the wind was in the right direction, but these stunters don't scare me. I can handle speed. Okay, so what if the stunt tracks make the worst roller coasters, roller coasters look tame? The only place to go is up, right? Yeah, well, sure. You can go down too, but only if you don't know what you're doing. I've reached 28. Not how many other racers can say that? Maybe I have taken a couple of hard landings too many, but I'll be able to get my back fixed with the creds I'm going to win in Div 1, right? Right. Okay. I've inflated the seat suit, the engine's running, the turbo's whistling, and the nitrous oxide tank is primed. Probably won't even need the nitrous. Like I say, just like a roller coaster. Jaw. I know there's one big difference. You can't fall off a roller coaster, but I'm not scared. Am I? There you go. <laughs> so, so you literally transported me to where uh, I don't even know where I was. <laughs> That's the power of acting, Graham. That's the power of acting. Any town USA that was. <laughs> it was somewhere. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew Stunt Cat Racer had all that going for it? No one. <laughs> no one's ever read it. No. Uh, do you know? I know the, the real the real thing. I never owned an original of this ever. So, no. so that's why. But that's, that's quite intriguing. At least I've, actually, I've applied some context to what was previously a mystery. It was a complete mystery. Complete mystery. Now you know. Mm. Now you know. Now you know. Anyway, know. so that out of the way, let's get to the game. Essentially, Stunt Car Racer is a 1v1 drag style car racing game. Well, it's not really drag. No, it's a 1v1 style car racing game around tracks that are narrow and raised up in the air, contain multiple mm. gaps and jumps to traverse. So that's what you've got to do. Obviously, there's more to it than that, though. When the game first loads up, we can choose single or multiplayer modes. Uh, I'm going to focus primarily on the single player mode here. Um, although the multiplayer mode does have some clever bits in that if you've progressed in the single player mode, you can load that into the multiplayer mode and open up the tracks you've got, which is quite good, Okay, I suppose. That's all right. It's presented well here. The options, they're sort of being, they're on the face of a part of the track. It's like there's a cutaway of the track. 
and your car sort of resting on like the lip of the cutaway and the options mm. are on the sort of flat face of the, of the sort of cutaway part. It's quite nice. It's simple, but it goes a long way to showing the level of attention to detail in this game. There's a lot of that. Everything sort of feels in situ and in world. Good touches. Um, if you select the single player, it lets you enter your name and it also lets you complete, uh, this is complete with upper and lowercase letters. Always a fan of that. Always like to have a capital, capital letter for my name. Before showing us the four divisions that we are hoping to make our way through. Each division is made up of two courses and has three races in it. We start at Division 4 and are racing up against Jumping Jack and Roadhog. Each season has six races and you're racing four of them. And the objective is to get the most points by the end to progress to the next season and the next set of courses. Uh, in each race, you get two points for a win and a single point if you do the fastest lap. So even if you crash off the course, it's still possible to gain a much-needed point if you manage a hot lap, um, even if you do go on to lose the race. So you can still grab points even if you lose. So it's, you know... You still want to crack on, even if you're sort of way behind, because you still might get that all-needed point. Clicking the fire button brings up some options. These are Hall of Fame. Uh, it's blank at the start, but it fills up as you play with basic hot laps and stuff like that. Uh, we can practice any of the eight tracks in the game, which is a nice touch and allows you to get used to the game's handling and the tracks themselves before entering the competition. We can start the season or we can load us, load save or replay a season. So replay, if you're doing terribly badly, you press replay and you start at the beginning of that. We can save if we're doing well and we can load where we're going on. Obvious things like that. Starting the racing season brings us to our first race, which may not be the first race in the season as the two computer players may have already raced against each other. So you've got race number of six. So you race in four of those. So one and two may have already happened between Roadhog and Jumping Jack, for example. So you're in three of six. I press the fire button. This gives a sort of preview of the track in 3D. It's been, it's possible to rotate the view to see the track from four different angles. You can rotate to the left and right to get a feel for the track in front of you because this is not a normal flat road track. As it said, it's like a roller coaster. It's up in the air. It's very thin and it's got gaps and jumps and inclines and declines and all kinds of stuff that you're going to have to navigate. So you're going to have to look at this track and sort of figure out which is the best way. And as the tracks progress, they get more tricky to try and figure out how to sort of progress through them, which is quite, so that's all nice being able to sort of do that. Pressing fire again, that gets us into the race proper. So the first thing of note is that this is a proper, I'm going to say this, this is a proper 3D racing game. None of your fake sprite scaling or anything like that here. This is a proper, this uses proper 3D, I'm going to say, to the extent that we can get proper 3D on the C64. It's wireframe, but it's filled in as much as it can be. And it's, you know, it feels like a solid world that you're in, not, not sprite scaling that we've kind of been used to in a lot of video, a lot of these sort of 3D racing games we've, um, we've, we've played around with. And the game does this cleverly. With the, And what it does is the game starts you off quite cleverly. It starts you on the ground next to the track. So you get a sense of that verticality from the, from the off because the track towers above you to the left. You know, you're way, it's way up and you get hoisted up on a crane um, and then you're sort of moved over the track. It's almost sort of Mario Kart style with Lakitu picking you up and you get dropped onto the track. So you're instantly, the game does that thing of like, you are high up. You know, you can see off to the left and right, but you started on the floor and got hoisted onto the track. So it's a really clever touch that rather than starting you on the track, it sells its sense of height by doing that, which is a nice touch. And it, it also gives you a sort of inkling of the sense of inertia and weight that you have. Because this crane isn't, you know, just go like a robot. You're swinging from the crane. You know, you're swinging left and right. There's a bit of inertia to it and weight. It helps to sell the verticality and the weight of this game. It's a really good touch, this is. And when you think about it, that's a very clever thing to start the game with, start each race with. The track itself is seen through a window that takes up most of the screen. And I guess it's supposed to be the view from inside the car itself. I'm guessing that's what this is. This is like the view out of your you know, front window. At the bottom of the window, so at the bottom of the screen, you've got your dashboard. This shows your current speed, which is indicated by a line and a lot of numbers. 
These numbers go all the way up to 23. This actually indicates 230 miles per hour. And it is possible to actually go beyond this. And if it does, the speedo will loop round and you'll be going faster than that. So it's kind of a weird one, but it's possible to go very fast. There's a lap indicator, which just says the letter L. And there's a number by it when you get racing that'll tell you what lap you're on. There's a boost indicator. This has got the letter B and the numbers next to it. And that's how many boost units you've got left. There is the number indicating the distance between you and the other racer on the track. This is a bit weird, but if it's a positive number, then it means you are behind the other racer by that distance, whatever the arbitrary distance is. Conversely, if it's a negative number, it means you are ahead by that amount. So you can kind of judge how close you are. So, you know, if it's zero or close to zero, you are neck and neck and you might not be able to see them on the screen but be careful moving the car because you're going to bash into them so you, that kind of gives you some information so that's that's good as well uh finally there's the present lap time and the fastest lap time indicators there on the on the right there's also a flag icon this lights up if you are winning and there's a stopwatch icon which lights up if you have recorded the fastest lap time for the race so far so lots of information there but all easy to read nothing too untoward it's quite simple as you race through this, there's a cross at the top of the window. As you move the car and you do sort of turns and you sort of treat the car badly, that a crack will start to slowly appear. And that will edge its way from left to right across the top of the window out onto the outside world. And this happens every time, you, like I said, you take damage from landing too hard, for you hitting the edge of the track, falling off the track, hitting the other player, taking corners too fast, things like that. These are called chassis cracks. Should this crack reach all the way from the left to the right, your car is wrecked. Okay, and you're out of the race. You're done for. You're done for. So the bigger the smash, the more chassis crack you're going to get. That sounds a bit weird, but that's what's going to happen. So you need to be careful because you that once you don't want to total your car because you're out of the race. The good thing is is that these chassis cracks are repaired between races. So you start the game off with a sort each race off with a fresh chassis. So that's a good thing. There is a second damage indicator to this. So if you you know if you really crack the car into something, you go flying off, you come down off a big jump or whatever, and you really smack into something, you'll get these little holes that appear on the top bar. And these are called structural damage. Now these represent permanent damage to your car. These do not go away from between races, and they stay with you. So what happens if they start to sort of make their way in from the right-hand side? So your chassis crack's going across the left. These holes start to appear from the right. If your chassis crack hits one of these holes, then the amount of damage you receive speeds up. So if you get loads of structural damage to the car, loads of these little holes, then taking chassis damage will speed up across it. So you've got to be, you've got to treat your car with a bit of care, okay? You can't just slam it around and go flying off. Otherwise, you've got to be... Screw before you get to the end of the race because you will take damage. There's no, there's no doubt about it. So that's that's how you that's how the damage in this game works. So once the crane has dropped you onto the track, um, the racing starts. And controls are very simple, and in fact, the controls are really quite clever for this game. Forward, there's forward and back for accelerate and brake, nice and simple, and left and right to steer. That's it. Fire initiates your nitro for that extra turbo speed boost which you're going to need so beyond this the game does some clever things that really help you navigate this kind of 3d world which other games don't do so once you start to accelerate you can just let go forward the car will just continue so you don't have to be jamming it in the top left or right corners for turning turning or anything like that the car will just keep going faster until you tap down to actually slow yourself down that's quite good i like that you also only need to hold down the fire for the nitrous your speed won't slow down so once you let go of that the speed you get to because you'll have a sort of top speed without nitrous then if you engage the nitrous you can go a lot faster if you let go of fire button you'll stay at that speed it won't drop down you have to brake or let it go you know if you go up an incline you'll slow down things like that so again nice touches here similarly when you go onto straights and you're you're steering the car will auto correct 
on the straights to go forward. Okay, so you don't have to worry about trying to write yourself to be going forward with taps of left and right, which is good because obviously this is a 3D game on the C64. The frame rate is not what we'd class as super smooth to today's standards, but it's passable. But in that respect, input on a digital joystick, trying to turn left and right can be a bit of a pain. This takes away that problem. So it just says, you know, as soon as you let go, it'll just auto-navigate to going straight. Great, really like that. So this may seem like hand-holding. I don't think it is. It works really well. And like I said, it compensates for the frame rate of the game compared to modern races. It helps you navigate the space game world without, you know, the, the racing game, without having to worry too much about being precise. This isn't a game about precision. This isn't this Formula One games that Cranwood was known for. This is stunt car racer. This is bashing around and doing massive stunts and stuff. So as you work your way through the divisions, you'll race across all eight tracks. These get trickier and more devious as you go. You start with a rather sedate little ramp and humpback, but even the little ramp has its tricks. If you go plowing up full speed up that little ramp, yeah, that's not going to end well because you'll go flying past the landing and you'll come crashing down right, right next to the corner and probably bounce off. So, you know, you've got to use your speed cleverly. Once you get through these, if you progress up to Division 3, you get to the stepping stones and the big ramp. Then there's the roller coaster and the high jump in Division 2. And finally, if you get to Division 1, there's the ski jump and the drawbridge. So once the race starts, you're, you're, I was immediately impressed. Immediately impressed with what, um, with what has been achieved here. I remember playing this mostly on the Amiga, I think, round at your house. So I was more familiar with the Amiga version. I think we played a fair bit of this at your house on your Amiga. I think I did try the C64 version for a bit, but like I said, this was late time for me with the C64. There's a solid 3D track as seen from your place in the car. The draw distance is sufficient. It's not all the way out, but it's sufficient um, to give you a good view of what is coming up. And as you speed up, you'll be impressed. I was impressed with the sense of speed on display as well. This goes pretty fast, and I think it does quite well for pushing what it's pushing. The colours for the game are simple. They do change from track to track. So it's very solid in its colours. So basically, this is, it's almost like vector graphics with solid colours filled in. So where we normally get vector graphics and we can see through them, here those vector graphics are filled in, which is kind of how it works. And mostly it's either brown, green, or grey, depending on the track. But it, it works. And the, the, the monotony of the colour soon fades away, I found, as you find yourself trying to keep your vehicle on track and beat the opponent uh, you're up against to progress. At the bottom of your track view is the front of the car, so you can see out the window, and it's the front of your car. Great wheels. The wheels on this really sort of sell the sort of kinetic impact and the bouncing and the sort of bounciness of your car, the sort of inertia and the suspension of your car. They're on either side of the view. They bounce up and down. They re react accordingly to whether you're on the track or flying through the air. So if you're on the track and you bounce, they'll sort of come up, and if you drop and you're in a big jump, they'll drop down. All that kind of works really well. And when you employ the turbo, your engine spurts flame from its multiple exhausts, letting you know, you know, that you're, you know, you boom and your speed goes up and you a nice meaty roar to the, um, to the uh, engine itself. I thought the sound was nice and beefy. It's quite simple, but I think it's using multiple channels to get a good beefy tone um, to it. And it also lets you know revving when you're in midair, never a good idea. <laughs> you just... It's never a good idea. Never, ever a good idea. But like I said, the other car on the track will put up a good fight as you progress. As the, as you go through the divisions, they get quite good. And should you plummet from the track, then your carnage is all amped up with huge clouds of dust and smoke obscuring your view for your winch back onto the track if you're not completely wrecked to try and catch up. There's also a real challenge here as you try and master the tracks. The fun part of this is simply twanging your car about. So the fun part of this is, is uh, simply twanging your car around with abandon, seeing how high you can get off the massive jumps. That's cool. We like that. And it just goes all flying all around the place. Um, and we, we like, you know, that's, that's part of the fun of this, but it's not going to get you very far because <laughs> you'll just crash off. And it is fun to do that, but it's, you know, but that's part of the joy of this game. If you want to actually get on in this game and progress through the divisions, you're going to have to learn it. You're going to have to, you know, you, you're going to have to sort of figure out how to navigate 
the right speeds for these jumps, the right angles, the things the things you've got to come at them with. And like I said, this is shown in the first track, the little ramp. Yes, you can barrel over it at top speed and go flying, but all that time you're in the air, the opponent is probably on the track and accelerating, and you're in the air slowing down. So mm-hmm. and or, or getting ready to bounce and you know, you might bounce awkwardly and fly off the track and things like that. So you've got to actually approach that little jump, not at full speed, just kind of about mid speed, and you'll go over it, just the right thing, land on the land on the slope going down and be ready to zoom into the next part. You've got to sort of learn these parts. The key here is to know what speed to approach each hazard to get your car back on the track as soon as possible and back up to speeds. And this means it's going to take time to learn these tracks well enough to win the season. Another example is this is the drawbridge in, the, in Division 1. It's got a huge, huge jump up a massively steep climb. Okay, So steep so steep that if you drive into that at full speed, it gives you instant structural damage. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so you're like, it's like driving into a wall and it's like, oh, you're going up. So don't do that. You can't do this. You've got to you've got to approach it at a lower speed and things like that. Going around corners too fast gives you chassis damage and some hazards will come straight after them. So you need to learn how to position your car, be going at the right speed. There may be little gaps, little sort of little jumps, which are barely sort of not really mentioned, but you need to sort of be going at the right thing. And if you were going at an angle, you're going to bounce when you land because it's got inertia and weight and there's physics going on. You know, you could be off the off the track before you know it. So it's it's this that makes this game so good. There's two ways of playing this. There's the fun way, which is just careening around and having a good old laugh and just crashing at whatever. Or there's the proper way and trying to approach each race as a, you know, this is Jeff Cramond, remember? So right. it's it's not... There's skill here, the skill to be learned, and you've got to learn. They may only seem like eight tracks, but those tracks are really tricky. And getting them right over three laps to win each race... That's a tricky and hard proposition. This is going to keep you going for a while. It's a game that rewards, like I said, balls out stupidity with loads of fun, but also rewards those who take the time to learn the tracks and master them. Coming in first, miles ahead of your opponent with very little damage to your car is immensely satisfying, knowing you've nailed that track. And I found this you know, really enjoyable right now. It's a technical achievement, this. There's no two ways around it. This is a no, proper definitely. technical achievement. On the 8-bit machines, in fact, the Amstrad and Spectrum versions are equally as impressive. I had a look at all three. They're all incredible. You know, in fact, that they might mm. be faster, but whatever, they're all incredible. To get this level of speed and solidity out of one megahertz machines, and that's what we're talking about here, it's just ridiculous. It's nothing short of amazing. To also have the depth and playability that this offers on top, it's nothing short of genius, really. I was left cold by revs. I mean, we didn't particularly like revs. I think revs didn't really rub us the right way. Mm. The Sentinel was a bit, it was clever, but it was too cold. It was too cold a Sentinel. There was something mm. wasn't, you know, it didn't invite you in. But it was always clear, you know, Jeff Crammon's clearly a clever fellow. And it goes on because he goes on to make loads of F1 games, is what he does. But here he's managed to marry the technical aspects he's so good at with a fun, challenging, and thoroughly enjoyable game. This is amazing. It's a technical marvel, and this should have been a gold medal. There's no two ways around it. I think what this offers in comparison to the Turbo Outrun game, is far more. Because it's a much, much, much better game. It's more technically impressive, I think, than what they managed there. And this pushes things forward on just about every level, like, like I said, far more than Turbo Outrun does or anything else. Feels that 94% was harsh on it. I don't know what, what the, I don't know what he could have added to give it. And the, it's even, you know, it's got a multiplayer mode where you can load stuff in. It's, I don't know. One of the most impressive things on the machine, I think. And all in one load to boot. Incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. I mean... What what more could he... I don't know. This is one of those games you play, you come back to now and you go, this is still loads of bloody fun. And it, it, it looks rough comp- to modernise, but once you play it for a couple of minutes, you forget. You just forget. And it's just thoroughly enjoyable. I loved it. And I, I absolutely love my time with this. I was playing it loads. And tell. What a great, great game. What did you think? I remember the Amiga version more than the C64 one, although I have played both. Interesting what it delivers, isn't it, the C64 one? There's actually a really good article on the technical aspects of this. 
which is written by a guy that's converted it to the plus four, um, which shows you this is, this is a bit of a homebrew super game because yeah. obviously it came out on the Amstrad Spectra Amiga ST. It's even PC now, MS-DOS version. Yeah. But you've also got versions that have been done by homebrewers for the BBC Master System, for the Atari yeah, Jaguar, for loads of them. There's loads of them for the Atari. And this guy, this guy particularly did a version for the Apple II and he did one for the Plus 4. And so in doing, in order to, for him to do that, he's, um, it's a guy called Patai Gurgeli, I think. I'm, I want to say, it looks like Patai Gurgeli, but I'm pretty sure that's not his name. Probably Excuse not. my pronunciation, but Patai Gurgeli. I'll put the website in the show notes, but there is a really strong technical, I mean, a proper technical breakdown of how the effect of 3D is achieved in Stunt Car Racer. And I can tell you, it is clever. Yeah, yeah. Really, no. really clever. Just some, some key indications. I mean, he's wrote in the first paragraph of this, Stunt Car Racer is one of the most sophisticated games from the 8-bit era, which echoes exactly what you said. You're not going to find many other examples of, get this, filled vector 3D rendering combined with a physics engine that resolves spring collisions against the 3D mesh while still delivering a decent frame rate running on a 1 megahertz CPU with no assistance from the hardware whatsoever. That's yeah. absolutely incredible. Incredible, that is. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I'm not going to spend time now looking through all of the code, going through all of the brouhaha of how um, all of those things were achieved, I can tell you there's some clever shenanigans going on there. Um, very clever use. Because for, for example, the C64 screen renders in that game at 256 by 128 pixels, right? But because the effective viewport is 128 by 28 pixels due to the horizontal stretching that goes on. So that's actually 128 pixels by 128 pixels, that view of the game right, for a start. Okay. Then all it does is render the lines, and then um, it uses a uses a quirk of the way that bitmaps operate on a C64 bitmap graphics to make sure that if it's uh, if it's not track, it's sky. So it changes the color on the raster line depending on what. How right. clever is that? That's very clever. So that's that's why it renders so fast because it's it's not it's only ever rendering lines. <laughs> the rest of the color is just a quirk of it's either showing blue or it's showing brown. That's mad, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think. It, I, I mean, I, I guess it must have been something like that because obviously he's not doing proper three D yeah. you know, polygons and stuff. But so there's some weird way. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, 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 but like most games, it's still smoke and mirrors. But it's the, yeah, it's, it the, it's, the, it's, the it's the effect that is important, and the effect is incredible. At the bottom of that screen, you've got some sprites going on. A lot of the text on that screen is all sprites for start. So that's not te- that's not characters. That's sprites. At the okay. bottom where it says pause or anything else, or when you've got things at the bottom, sprites, the flames on the obviously on the car. The final interesting detail, and I think this will really you'll really like this. So Jeff Crammond has hidden black hidden hashes of color. Color, you can't see them because they're around the edge of the screen in the C64, just towards the top of the screen, it's black. There's black, like a slight, slight black border at the sides, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the main game view and then it's the site. That black border's actually got hidden characters in it. Those characters are what are used to render the map before you go into the game. <laughs> oh, right, so okay. It, so it uses those characters and switches on the pixels on and off according to what view it is and stretches them according to... That's why that kind of the map looks kind of stretched. It's using characters and just stretching them to fit and they're hidden on the screen all the time to save memory. <laughs> it's, like, it's like... It's just crazy. I'll put the link into the... Because it's a very yeah, detailed technical... So. I mean, I did have like a look. pixel I still by pixel. That. I would it's like crazy. to read up that website. It's it's very very good and if you know and he also it's the same guy that did a super a super fast version of the game because there's a game that's available for like a super speed car that could plug into the C64 which obviously speeds that game up to make it look kind of crazy good which shows you how good it actually is anyway anyway by the by what did I think of all of that and and I'm not going to add loads more to what you said because very detailed technical breakdown a very detailed breakdown of why the game is so impressive it always was. Stuck out like a sore thumb that game when you remember loading, going wow. Yeah. I remember spending ages going trying to aim my car to go up that 
moat thing, you know, the one that lifts up and down. So it would launch you almost like vertically upwards because you can yeah. if you time it right. It launches yeah. you really high up. Loads of fun to be had doing stupid stuff like that in this yeah, game. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Crazy good. So it's deceptively well engineered. It might not look like it, but it, it well, it kind of does, but it might you might not realize how much crazy good looking 3D stuff is going on in there. Great gameplay, loads of tracks to go out, plenty, more than enough. Sound effects work really well. Always nice, you know, to try some difficult tracks as well to practice. Flying off at those key moments is always a, a goof. Loads of mileage on this. I played this loads on on the C64, but way, way later on the Amiga, I played this because it's just the same on the Amiga. It's just the frame rate is better and the graphics are slightly different resolution, but the game is yeah. the same. Mm-hmm. I always felt that this had the speed and the ideas right with the challenges. It just was that right balance, as you rightly point out, which made the game feel really good. This is a classic. It's a C64 classic. Should it have been a gold medal? Yes, of course it should. This was robbed. You can't give Turbo Outrun a credit that it got and then look at this technical marvel and mm-hmm. not give it a gold medal. There's something very wrong about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, we live in weird times with this magazine, don't we, at this stage? It's, who knows quite what they're scoring yeah. and why. You know, we're, we're going to come across some scores in this very episode where we're going to be like, Gah! so that's just one of them. I don't think Microsoft, because they said it just came out of nowhere, this. I don't think Microsoft, I think this feels like a, I don't know, Turbo Outrun, Untouchables, Batman we've seen over the last few episodes mm. getting gold medals. It just makes it kind of makes a mockery of that award, I think. But this not, it's like, what are mm. you doing? What are you doing, guys? I mean, don't get me wrong. Turbo Outrun serving a very different market, very different audience, very different kind of game. But you've got to award games for their technical merits and what they do on a game-by-game basis. Because this doesn't have the conversion from an arcade, that's actually works better for it. You said something, actually, when we were looking at Continental Circus. You said, if you're going to bring something out an hour as a game, you better be do something different and you better be doing something good. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Um, you know, Use the money instead of paying for a license. Use that money to create something different and new. That's interesting. Well, you know, they wish it came true. The monkey's paw, for once, fingered in the right way, which sounds horrible, <laughs> but I meant it in a nice way. It fingered through the shatty crack. <laughs> it did. Great game, this. Always was a load of fun. We, we played a lot of this back in the day, both yeah, on this did. and the Amiga. So, you know, we got our mileage. The thing is with this, it's another of those games that's it's fun, because it's, it's single player, obviously, but it's fun to play and it's fun to spectate. It is. It's fun to watch someone play this and go, oh, no, you've got what are you doing? You're too fast. And then it was always the weight, the anticipatory weight of the crash, just to see how much yeah. damage you had done was always good. I remember watching you play this, or I was playing it and you were watching I just, yeah, it's, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It should have been, it should have been a gold medal. What, what were they thinking? Should. I mean, clearly, whatever. Anyway, there you go. A stunt car racer. It is. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, stunt, yeah stunt car racer. Should have been a gold medal. That's a good way to start, though, as we uh, start, you know, midway through December. Let's hope, let's hope the episode continues in the same vein. And Graham, it's over to you to see if that is the case as you get to play Action Fighter. From the arcade obscura, we've gone back there again, haven't we? We haven't been there for a while, have we? What's that in the corner? What is that in the corner? What, what is in that dust? in the corner? Yeah, I'm just blowing it. It's from Ager. Wait a minute. Oh, it's Sega. Goodness me, would never have guessed. So the C64 version of Action Fighter was a £9.99 game from Firebird, from published by Firebird. This was developed by Core Design, coded by Christian Schwigley. Schwigley! And the graphics are by Terry Lloyd, with music by Dave Pridmore. This achieved a summary 39% in, in the pages of Zap. So, you know, maybe it's not all that good. Oh. So, I don't know, another week, another obscure arcade conversion. <laughs> I was just, but if we had one for a while, well, maybe we have. But this is what on the more obscure side of obscure, isn't it? We had Xenophobe last week. Yeah, yeah, say, but that was the I think this is even more obscure than that. 
So this is a Sega arcade from 1986 in the shape of Action Fighter, which is essentially a Spy Hunter and Xevious combo. Two of the games that nobody ever wanted to combine into anything. So this is Spivious. Spivious, yeah, Spivious. <laughs> it is. Now, bizarrely, and I mean, who knew this, right? This was ported to pretty much everything. This is from the Tandy to the Spectrum, C64 to Amiga, PC, DOS to Master System. This is on everything. DL. Yeah, Why? exactly. So what, I mean, uh, good question. I suppose that what, what it says is, this means there's plenty of opportunity to get it right, right? Right. Right. Mm, okay. Right. 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 So I'll, I'll, go f- I'll go through the blurb because it's only quite a simple scenario. You have been charged with five highly dangerous missions to destroy the enemy attack force. Combat takes place in enemy territory on the ground and in the air. For this purpose, you will use one of the latest top secret transforming vehicles. You begin as a motorcycle. You may then collect four parts, represented by A, B, C, D icons, which will change motorcycle into car. <laughs> it's, the, it's the crap Transformers. <laughs> it is. It's, it's honestly. Autobots, transform. I can't. I haven't got enough tokens. Oh, Bumblebee. <laughs> I've only got two wheels. I'm a motorbike. How am I going to get another two wheels to be a car? You'll find a way. <laughs> the icons will appear depending on the number of enemy vehicles you've destroyed. All right. When you change into a car... Press the space bar, we'll transform you back into the motorcycle and vice versa. Okay. Mm. Changing into the jet car is done automatically after collecting the last two parts, E and F. The jet car will only change into the motorcycle when landing after completing the missions. This also results in the loss of all parts collected. Yikes. Mm. The gameplay, you must travel on the ground section, destroying enemy vehicles and collecting parts and icons until you can take off. Once in the air... You must travel to your mission objective. This is described at the start of each level. These targets can either be bombed or shot, depending on their altitude. And when they have been defeated, the next mission will be displayed. Simples. There is a time bonus on each level. If you destroy the objectives within the time limit, bonus points are added. Ooh, la la la. On the road, when traveling on the road, you will be attacked and obstructed. I'm not sure who wrote this. By enemy vehicles. Obstructed. Yes. (laughs) Um, okay. I think it means obstructive, but okay. Uh, okay. You must stay on the road. Stay on the road. Stay away from the moors. <laughs> As there are various crash barriers along the route. If you hit them whilst driving relatively slowly, you will merely bounce off. Just a bounce. However, if you hit a crash barrier at high speed, you will be destroyed. There are also ramps to negotiate which cr- which cross over water. You just jump over them. These can be jumped if approached at the correct speed and position. You can avoid the ramps by pulling into the side road if you are driving too fast on the approach. You'll never be able to do it, so don't try. <laughs> there is an indicator at the top of the screen which warns you how the road ahead is going to turn, etc. So you can slow down if you wish to avoid the ramps. If you ever see a Sega van on the road, honk your horn and say, how do you do? No, don't really. We can if you Sega. want. Sega. It says, position yourself just behind it and you will be automatically drawn inside. Sound familiar? You'll be equipped with a new mm. weapon. The weapons are collected in the following order. Double firepower, missiles, reverse firing, limited invulnerability. <laughs> if you lose a life, you will lose all add-ons and you will have to start a collecting again. In other words, that's what's called being dead annoying. <laughs> that's the annoying thing that's the annoying rule uh, when you're in the air you fly your jet car and you can fly at two speeds um, the slower, you can fly at a slower speed but if you collect a floating bonus it allows you to go faster that's what we call a speed up in our language <laughs> stupid when you reach the air, end of the air section you will have to destroy the mission objective if you see a Sega twin rotor helicopter which you know we've all seen when we've been flying about mm-hmm. then fly into the back of it to pick up extra weapons which are the same as collected from the van okay in addition, you have a bomb site to aim the bombs that you drop. That's the Xevious part coming in. I'll come, up to, mm-hmm. come back to that. In the C64 version, there's also flag bonuses where there's these tiny little flag icons on the track or it's on the road 
which you can collect if you can even see them at the speed you're traveling at, let them get to them. But they are there if you want to do that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. So there's three vehicles in this, motorcycle, the car, and the jet car, which I'll sort of talk about more as we go through the game. So that's principally the game described. So, you know, go up, shoot stuff, or drive, get enough stuff to upgrade your car to the jet car, fly Xevia style across some landscapes, and shoot them style till you get to your destination and then blow the living crap out of whatever you find there, which is what's been told in the mission. Okay, mm-hmm. so when you start the C64 game of this, a somewhat twiddly theme tune, which is the same as the arcade, but twiddlier, greets you along with an arcade-like title screen with what looked like to me frozen fireworks. Is there nothing more depressing than drawing fireworks mid-explosion? <laughs> You've got sprites on the C64, you could have added them in, couldn't you? It's just a frozen fireworks, have. it's not very nice. And then there's some floaty-up text, of course, the obligatory floaty-up text. Very, I've seen this in a few games over the past few episodes. Bit of floaty down, floaty up, never hurt anybody. Pressing fire starts the game and you'll be presented with the UI at the top with score, lives, timer and stage with some mini icons, presumably representing the extra weapons, although you'll never know what they are. And the letters A through F in little boxes. Those are the ones that I said you've got to collect as you go along. The more mm-hmm. things you blow up, the more cars you blow up and vehicles on the road, the more letters you'll get and so on and so forth. Under that, the usual enter your name selection just before with your joystick control. To be fair, so far so good. Doesn't look terrible. It's all kind of does what it does. Then your secret command is revealed. Your first mission, destroy three enemy U-boats. Here depicted like three white, grey, aging dog turds. <laughs> I don't know what they were. <laughs> I was like, U-boats? <laughs> they ain't no U-boats I've ever seen before. They look, they look like <laughs> dog turds that have been left outside for ages. They do. They are a bit sun-tanned. Yeah, sun-bleached <laughs> dog turds. Sun-bleached dog turds, yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the scatological references, people who were sensitive to those things. Anyway... The graphics are blocky, and if he hadn't told me they were U-boats, U-boats I would never have guessed what they were in a million no. cigars. Anyway, this is, however, the same, albeit less resolution than the arcade. So those are the same missions. Uh, so the same mission. I'm not saying yeah, the graphics are the same. same. It's, it's the same mission. It's the same mission. I'm just looking at them U-boats. God, they're crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not U-boats. <laughs> the game begins, and you are presented with a Spy Hunter-esque view. The UI from before remains at the top. Below is your game window. It's a kind of top-down orthographic city view looking at the road between some high-rise buildings. The buildings mm. are brown, windows lit up in the odd colour, and the road is grey. Okay. At the top of the road is an arrow indicating that you need to go up, obviously. Your motorbike is positioned bottom middle. The graphics here are fairly basic but functional. Although the vehicles on the road um, that will zip about you, just like Spy Hunter, I think looked a bit naff. Some of them are supposedly borrowed from Spy Hunter, actually, but I'm, I'm not so sure about it. This is meant to be some kind of unofficial sequel, I think. Anyway, everything is more or less a single sprite in size. You look like you're riding a hot dog sausage. You don't really look like a <laughs> motorbike that you're on. <laughs> the other yeah. motorbike is a really weird shape. Nothing like your shape, though, which makes you wonder what kind of motorbike you're on, but it is a hot dog sausage. And oddly... The motorbikes and the other cars, well, they're kind of, I suppose they're small, but they kind of look like cars. You kind of get away with that. You control your vehicle with a joystick, up is speed up, down is slow down, left and right. Well, guess what they do? You can accelerate pretty fast in this too, and the background will whiz on by. Vehicles will get in your way, avoid them or shoot them if you can, or hit them with your car. You can get weapon upgrades from the passing Sega trucks, as I mentioned. Very similar to Spy Hunter, that. And there's also letters, as I said, you can collect if you smash the enemy vehicles on the road. Accumulating those means you get to transform into the car by pressing the space bar. A car that looks like a little red Corvette or at least some kind of performance beetle. If you get the letters E and F, you change to the jet car automatically when you reach the end of the map, which launches you into the sky and the game changes to Xevious, essentially. Here it becomes yes. a top-down shooter. You control the jet car, jet, spaceship, whatever the hell that is, and a target reticule is now positioned just heavy, while well, Xevious. This plays more like a traditional top-down shooter and is also more difficult. You will slowly scroll upwards and things will attack you. You get upgrades from passing Sega helicopters, 
And eventually you'll get to the end where you must bomb the three U-boats targeted with your vehicle, where they just pop up and down and up and down. It's actually quite hard to surface and then and then go underneath the water <laughs> in a U-boat. You can't just pop them up and down like toast. No, it's not <laughs> as easy as that. They're like quite big, it turns like out. Dolphins. <laughs> the dolphin the dolphin U-boats. They are dolphins. They are dolphin dolphin boats. Do that and it's on to mission two. Mission two. Mission two. Mission two. Mission two. Each of the mission is mission mission two. <laughs> Each of the missions has different targets for you. Think tanks. Think super tanks, or as I like to call them, massively expanded sprite tank sprites. I mean, there's those <laughs> these expanded sprites, and then there's them. They are whppers. It's like mm-hmm. when they would be like, ah, the biggest tank I've ever seen. Anyway, um, <laughs> so you've got that to deal with. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got that to deal with, and they all occur at the end of the Zevia stage. And there's even some kind of carrier, sort of ship carrier thing. I never got that far into it because, you know, it's the format of this it plays out the same. So once you've got past the first stage, it's just more of the same, really. Drive around on the bike, get the letters, change to the car, get more letters, change to the jet bike, fly around, shoot things, get to the end, blow it up. Driving fast in this game is required, but risky as hitting the roadside barriers speed is fatal. Do this slowly and you'll bounce off, which is odd when you do that. But you can't really go slowly because you're on a timing countdown on these levels. So if you don't make it before the timer runs out, mm-hmm. you're done for. The roadway is essentially, yeah. like I said, top down, like Spy Hunter, with the road periodically splitting and forking with the changes to the route indicated on your little icon at the top. Things are a tad easier in the air, all said and done, because there's no roads to speak of. But the enemies are, th- are fast and the levels do seem to go on for ages. So it's a bit dull after a while. You do call it more lives as you progress as well. So you can at least sort of, you know, if that's the way you want to play, you can at least get more lives to carry on with this. But I don't know, you're going to burn through lives pretty quickly at certain stages of this, especially the driving part. It seems oddly difficult at times. Controls, mm-hmm. I said, are responsive. The scrolling is fast. The backgrounds are a bit basic, but they're passable with some attempts at detail that you'll not really even focus on or remember. Plus, you'll be focused on that road or the sky of the enemy. So what difference does it make whether the, there's a brown building with yellow windows or not? And that's that's the game. You need to get through five levels of that, which will be very challenging. Not not so much challenging for you, your hand-eye coordination, just challenging for your mental state, really. Mm-hmm. Sound effects are pretty perfunctory. Indeed, the game feels like it should have been a budget game. This is full price. Got to pay for that license. Got to pay for that obscure license. It, it, that old license. It's, uh, to full price, it's not a terrible game per se. Not terrible. It's expensive, but what it is, though, is essentially a version of Spy Hunter. It plays okay, the scrolling is okay, the bu- there's no bugs to speak of, does what it sets out to do, I suppose, but over time, both unforgiving and dull. Music would have helped, I think. There's no real music in this, apart from that beginning bit. doesn't feel like there's any drive or incentive to get further in the game. It just feels like it's just endless, dreary, on and on and on we go. The arcade has larger roadways and parts where the screen moves left or right when you choose a direction, so it's not just always up. And I think that is missing from this. It might sound like a small detail, but it just means that you're on a monotonous upward journey all the time. Just go up. This is a game. Let me just call it go up and blow stuff up. Go up. Um, so yeah. I think that's a detriment to a game. A lack of music, monotonous, endless going up. Eh, not, not my cup of tea. As an arcade, this would probably have just have been okay in 1986. It's not going to, it's no, it's no Sega Super System, Super Scalar, Mega Megalithic monster, is it? It's pretty boring, no. really. As a mm-hmm. 1989 multi-platform game, this should have and easy have been a lot better than it is. You know, you're not talking about lots of sprites on the screen. The C64 can handle those kind of sprites in these kind of games. It should have been way better. There's been loads of better shoot-em-ups. This is really kind of a shoot-em-up with driving bits in it. And even the driving mm-hmm. bits are kind of shoot-em-ups because you're just going up. So it's just the background scrolling at a different speed and you can't hit stuff. It's a speedy shoot-em-up without shooting. I don't know. Anyway, this got pummeled in the Zach review. A boring rehash spy hunter, they said, that offers nothing new. I think my, my take on this was, yes, that, those things are true. This just needed to be budget. And that might have swung this then to the 65% average score for this kind of dreary you know, middle-of-the-road game. 
it would have been given the kind of budget tertiary glance that Zap give these games. But no, it's all right, 65. So, but because it's 10 quid, they gave it a little bit more of an inspection eye. And we're like, this is a 39% naff piece of rubbish. Probably is. I didn't get much from it. It certainly looks like it belongs in another era, not 1989. What did you think? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, interestingly, it's Chris, Christian Shrigley, Terry Lloyd. They're, they're gremlin, aren't they? Because they, yeah. they, like, they do things like Bounder and Future Night. And when you look at those graphics, uh, yeah. Mm. It, does yeah. Look, it does look like a gremlin game. It's got a gremlin look to it, um, which obviously it would do because it has it's those guys. They made gremlin graphics games, so is what it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, with a name like Action Fighter, it's, you, you got to have it's got to have loads of action in it, hasn't it? It's got to have loads mm. of action. It's, it's in the title. So where's all the action gone? That's what I think. That's the name of the vehicle. <laughs> action Fighter. <laughs> where's the no music? It's really silent. It's 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 depressingly quiet. It's depressingly quiet. It's like, it's like, oh, God, this is boring. Where's yeah. the, you know, we've said this before. We said it about um, Cabal. We said the same thing with Cabal. You put a yeah. bit of music yeah, on the yeah. background and that would have lifted it's it something. as well. The arcade game was brilliant. I had a go with the arcade game. Uh, but the you know, but was it a bit of fun, actually, the arcade game? Was it a bit of crazy for a 1986 style game? But this has really dialed it down. It's a very, very pedestrian spy on the knockoff or whatever this is. There's quite a lot missing from the arcade game as well. And I'm not quite sure why. So in the arcade, you can fire at angles on the bike. So you can fight, you know, you can you swerve left and right sort of thing. And you can well, you fire can turn at angles in the arcade, but you can't do that in the seat. It's always up. Everything's it's always up. up. You just move left to right. You know, like you, know, you just do, do left. You just move left and right. You don't turn in the arcade game. You turn nope. so you can fire at angles. You can't in this. The levels are much shorter as well in the arcade, weirdly enough. The levels go on in this for ages. You're driving for ages. <laughs> It's like, God, Lord, I'll go down the A15. It's just going well, on yeah, forever. But remember, the, the idea is you've got to collect them letters. So really what you're doing is just collecting letters. How boring. Yeah, how boring, <laughs> yeah. It's like chain letters, rubbish. Um, and th- So it's quicker to get through in the arcade. It's just faster. The levels also in the arcade game, they scroll horizontally. So there's movement to the left and right. You can go yes, up and down is, and, yeah. and that, yes, that's like all said. gone. So that, that's only all up. gone. Yeah, only up. And we've seen that. In, in some arcade sort of vertical shooters where you can move the screen left and right, it's not hard to... They could do it. They should have done it. I don't know why. I'm assuming this was so niche and so obscure, they could probably just get away with the basics. Because no... Ooh, action, anyone remember Action Fighter? Action fight, anyone remember Action Fighter? No. Who's going to buy it? Yeah. And, and turn... Yaz. Was a f- Yaz bought it. <laughs> Good old Yaz. And turn what was a fun blast into a dull chore of a game with chunky sprites and uninteresting gameplay. There's no yeah, reason that yeah, this yeah. game they had to put... Yeah, it could have been the, the the game that this could have been. It could have been a little more faithful if they'd have taken a bit more time. Looked and go, yeah, we can. What was the? I mean, thing he did, didn't it? Uh, the car racing one, Lead Storm, that moved left and right, didn't it? I think that scrolled. Yeah, I think it did. It was way better than this, and the same sort of idea, I suppose. Same really, sort of idea. If you think this is like, this and Lead Storm yeah, yeah. driving a car upwards on a track, hmm, sounds similar, yeah. similar sort of thing. And they moved the track left and right and did a really good job. This is boring. Um, is. And what we're left with here is a dull spy on a Xevious clone that's not as good as either of mm. its influences. My last comment on this is just action fighter, action shiter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hate I'm just boring. It's just, there's no, I think this is just a, a, a game we've got a license and we need to turn them out. Do just, just get it done. Yeah. There's no passion yeah. in this. There's nothing. To it's be just fair, a, the, the Amiga version and the SD version are also crapola, really yeah, bad. All, I bet they all are because no one gives a shit. Who gave a shit about Action no. Fighter? No one. Even Sega didn't. They were like, you want to buy what? <laughs> yeah, okay, have it. <laughs> yeah. Is that one of ours? Did we, did we make that? <laughs> we, we can't did get anyone it away. make Action Fighter? <laughs> it came, came, it's like Metabolist came free with Bounder. It probably came free with someone else. So <laughs> yeah. They probably paid him to take it. Look, some, yeah. Please take that one. We don't know what to do with it. 
<laughs> it's all there in the corner, gathering dust. Someone thinks it's an Ager machine. We don't know what Ager. Just have yeah, it. Ages. It's just aged. <laughs> just, uh, I didn't like this. 39% was, it's probably about right. You know, it's functional, but God, it's boring. Yeah, it's, it is. It is and, very, and that's very, the, very that's, dull. That's the worst thing you can do with it with a game called Action Fighter. Well, there's no action in it and there's no fighting. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no action. No fighting. It doesn't do exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> it's it's the exact opposite of that. It's <laughs> driving up. <laughs> driving up with, with no combat. Yeah. It's just up driver. <laughs> You're not even hunting spies. In this spy only, you're hunting spies. This is just up driver. Drive up. What's the Seiko van do? You, know, you drive into it and then you just keep on driving up. All you've got to do is go up. Just drive up. The only way is up. My, what's my point? You've got to collect letters. Oh, God, this is boring. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's like a crap scrabble. <laughs> Why letters? <laughs> oh, yeah. Why do I have to get A to D to get some more powerful weapons? Just give me them. Yeah, just tell me, why does the first four letters of the alphabet turn my motorbike into a car? <laughs> yeah, because it know. does. That's all you need to think <laughs> That's about. All you need to know because it's A B C D. Each one represents a new wheel. <laughs> yeah, now make with the up. <laughs> action. There's no action. Inaction. Anyway, there we go. It's like Last Crusade, one of the action game. Yeah. Did, did action mean something different in the in the eighties? <laughs> did it change its meaning? <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder. It's the opposite of what it means. In action man. I mean, he was quite still, wasn't he? He never, unless you moved him around, yeah. he didn't do it. Exactly. The word action yeah. had a different meaning back then. Anyway, there you go. Action. No action fighting. Oh, let's move on. We've still got one game left. This part. Let's get to that. that game it's another a game it begins with a this is altered beast it's another sega game another sega arcade conversion you wait all year and two come along in a two come along in a row (laughs) from the same cupboard (laughs) so wise from your grave (laughs) i've waited ages to say that someone opened the a door (laughs) what's in here oh this stinks um, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's time to take on the legions of ancient Greek hell, I guess, as you've been called on by mighty Zeus to rescue his daughter here in the C64 version of the arcade game, arcade port game, Altered Beast. Duh, duh, duh. This was 9.99, it got 73%. Mm. I, I, I sense a great tremor in the force. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure that this is, lots of questions are going to be asked. <laughs> This was created by Sega in 1988 for the arcade. Uh, here, the C64 port has been published by Activision uh, with Ooh. coding by Michael J. Archer. Uh, he did On Court Tennis, Rampage, Slawn, Slawnia, Slain, whatever it was. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Option Hunter game. <laughs> oh, God, that one. <laughs> yeah. And he also did Nemesis the Warlock, which was quite good. Yeah. Um, okay. Visuals here by Mark Jones and music for the title screen alone um, is by Martin Walker. The arcade game is designed by Makoto Uchida, was made on the System 16 arcade board system. And in Japan, it was recorded as being the second highest grossing arcade game of the month in July 1988. They love stuff like this, though, over there, don't they? They don't do, they? second. Second highest, okay. They used the uh, System 16 board because it could throw ra- throw around loads and loads and loads of sprites. So, yeah, I can tell. That's what that was used for. So when the f- game first loads, uh, our version was a bit weird because we, like we had a loading bit, then you had to reset the machine to get the game. But when the game first loads, we have a, as an okay loading screen. 
showing the manner and beast of the game. It's like sort of overlapping each other. It's all right. And we get a nice intro sequence, you which do. is actually pretty good. It's got its own separate yeah. load, like in the version we had. It's got some really nice visuals. It's got like a pair of glowing eyes that go back to us, like a big close-up on a sort of mm. wolfy sort of man's face. And it's got big glowy yellow eyes and it sort of scrolls back and forth across the screen. And then we get this really nice unrolling effect of this line of like yeah, sort of Greek. Very, very nice demo effect, that. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's like this Greek sort of, you know, carving of a mm. wall sort of thing. Really quite cool. And we get a really nice, decent bit of music from Mr. Walker based on the arcade um, arcade yes. music. Yeah. So this actually bodes quite well. I was like, oh, you know what? That's pretty good. Um, mm. Yeah, I've got this. This piqued my interest. I was like, okay, yeah, it all seems good. Hopes are high. Then the game loads in. So we load the game. We get a rather basic screen here. We're. Uh, title screen things are oh okay uh there's a list of high scores <clears throat> and it's got the game's ui at the bottom now we've never been a fan of uis on the title screen no i think we've mentioned this before we find it a bit i think it's just lazy just let you just just don't yeah, have it yeah it is a bit showing so the ui at the bottom it shows a face um on the left there's, there's faces left and right right and bottom left and bottom right um these are basically showing you whether you're a human or a beast as i'll get to later it shows the number of lives your present energy and your score and this is repeated for players one and two okay this is a multiplayer game um we get the instructions for f1 for single player or f7 for two players and that actually is to be commended as they have managed to keep the simultaneous two-player mode in the game um so you know at least that's something you can play this two of you can experience this together if you wanted to if you really didn't like someone yeah <laughs> i played this mostly in single player i did try the two player and it's pretty much the same game so it doesn't slow down or anything like we saw with zybots it's the same thing so it's just with an extra player on screen but you know that's all right i guess something to praise whatever i press this one then we get into the game now in the arcade what happens at the beginning is zeus appears and we get the classic speech rise from your graves he beseeches you he raises you you're a centurion i think and he raises you from the grave in a big puff of smoke and he gives you sort of bestial powers um and he wants you to rescue his daughter athena who has been kidnapped by the nefarious neff neff n-e-f-f naff I don't know who Neff is. Anyway, here here on the C64, well, it's more of a flickery purple thing that kind of twitches and shakes a bit. So it goes, like that. Before we get a frame of smoke and we appear in all our pink, black, and grey expanded glory. <laughs> I don't know how else to de- describe the sprites in this. There's so, no other way to describe in, it. Yeah, so in order to replicate the size of the arcade game sprites, the expanded sprites are the order of the day here. It's just, can we expand them any further? Uh, you know, you thought those tanks were bad. There we go. Mm. Um, it lo- looks like they look expanded to my eyes. I'm sure they are. So set your expect- expectations then to blocky, blurry, and indistinct, um, the three Rice crispy mascots we never wanted. The backgrounds <laughs> are also somewhat on the blocky side. I thought, with rather blurry and indistinct versions of the arcade's visuals of Greek temples and countryside in the first level as in, and different as we go on. Still, controls are simple enough, I guess, uh, with left and right to move our expanded hero, up to jump, down to crouch, fire button while it's not moving will do a kick, and fire and left or right will do a punch in that direction. It says you can also crouch and punch. Um, uh, so you can crouch and punch, and that's fine, and you can punch where you are jumping. It also said that if you do... Um, I couldn't do it, but if you crouch and then do sort of diagonals, you'll do a kick. In the arcade, you do it, it's like this weird kick up. I could just could not get it to work on the C version. Maybe you could. No. I just couldn't I couldn't get it happening. It was like, no, just didn't happen. So I don't think it's in there. Maybe it's not. Probably isn't. Um progression is simple enough. Go right and punch or kick things. I mean that's it. <laughs> if action fighter was go up and shoot stuff, this is go right and punch stuff. Pretty much it. And these things that you punch range from blurry and blocky purple things to blurry and blocky blue things. 
that rise from out of the ground or drop out of the sky. That's essentially it. Uh, there are also some sort of temple, uh, sort of columns and stuff that appear that sort of pop out of the ground. Punch them as well. Punch everything, anything you can, just punch stuff. Um, as you progress, you will come across glowing white wolves, um, and you have to get to them quite quick because punching or kicking these make them drop a spirit orb. In the arcade, these cause a massive embiggening of our hero. The hero massively embiggens apart from his head, like a tiny head on top of a massive body in the arcade. Uh, but not here. Nothing happens at first. We don't get anything. Just nothing. It's like, oh, what happened? Nothing. Don't know. Uh, until we've collected three of them, when we finally turn into our beast form. So we do transform into our beast form. And then we can zip about the screen. So your attack sort of makes you zip about. We can do more damage to enemies. We jump about. And it gets a bit more kinetic and frenetic. And we need this uh, form. So the, the level will just keep going on um, if you don't get to beast form. Because you, you need to get into the beast form. Like we said about Action Fighter. Sega have a thing mm. about You've got to do a certain thing. Otherwise, this game ain't progressing. So Action Fighter, you had to collect the letters. This, you have to collect the spirit orbs. Um, and when you collect the spirit orbs, when you turn into the beast form, um, every now and again, a mage will appear on the right-hand side of the screen. Only in your beast form can you sort of zip into him and smack him. That's and that right. transforms him into the boss for this level. So this big it sort does. of mountainous sort of thing that throws rocks at you. Mm. And you've got to dash, in, dash into that to kill it. There's no indication that you're doing any damage to it, but you just keep bouncing no. off it. It's very strange. Um, you're trying to avoid these rocks, dash into it, and eventually if you do, do enough damage, you know it'll just blow up and disappear and you'll move on to level two. Um, there's more loading. It is a multi-load disc, so every level is its own load. Um, we do get a nicely drawn interstitial screen. We see a lot of these on these games. The interstitial screen tends to be quite nice, but the in-game graphics are pretty crap. The C64 has all the levels of the arcade. There's five of them. The next level takes us into the caves with a bit more platforming. If you collect three spirit orbs here, it turns it into a flying beast. And should we beat the boss, which is a kind of mirror of eyes or something, then it's on to level three, the underground cavern. Here our beast form is that of a cuddly bear thing. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> hug me, tug me, hug me, kiss me, tug up my fair. <laughs> and Bobo. <laughs> um, Bobo. <laughs> stop this charade. Um, <laughs> and the boss to the beat is some kind of giant spiral shell, which leads us on to level four, the Netherworld Fortress. Beast mode needs to be activated here, and we're more of a werewolf here, and the boss is supposedly a crocodile worm, but it's mm. somewhat hard to tell. The final level is the Netherworld Sanctum, and beast form of the wolf is back, and we can then get to beat the armored rhino version of Neff. Great. And rescue Athena. And then it's game over. Well done. Here's some images to show you did it. That's it. Well done. Have a nice day. Mm. Um, each level has its own load. And, well, each level follows the same formula. Walk along, punch stuff, try and avoid being killed, get the beast mode, fight the boss, and proceed. That's it. There's nothing else to this. It's just walk nope. along, find the white wolves, hit them, get the beast mode, find the boss, hit them, and progress. It's it. Um, so I went and played the arcade version as well, This like I do. Um, just booted up MAME and had a go on the arcade vein. And I don't know, this may be something that other people... I haven't been back to Altered Beast in ages. I remember playing a version of Altered Beast. There was a version of this on the PlayStation 2. Um, there was a, a sort of reimagining, a 3D sort of beat-em-up reimagining. I bought it from Asda for £10. It was the worst £10 I'd ever spent. It was <laughs> The game was so bad in every level that I was like, oh, God... What a, what a travesty that they've turned Altered Beast into this terrible thing. Aye. Came to, to realise, though, playing this version and going back to the arcade, that Altered Beast isn't very good in the first place. That's <laughs> no, true. It's just not. It's slow and ploddy, as we like to say, or boring, if you want another term. Unless yeah. any conversion of this is doomed, doomed to yeah. the same fate. What the arcade does have is some nice visuals and sprite work. 
you know, it looks nice. It looks the part for the time. And a, and a vaguely original setting, I guess, which is quite nice. There's not many of these games set in ancient Greece. Maybe a few others, maybe, you know. This, but then again, there's games like Rygar and things like that that do a similar sort of thematic, yeah. that do it better, yeah, yeah. R- Rastan. They do that kind of sort of... It's not quite a beat-em-up, is it? It's just a bit runny and smashy. I don't know what it... Vegas, and it's got some okay Sega music as you play... It's got that Sega down, but now, but now, the noises, but that's all been lost here. The levels are strangely silent again. That's two arcade conversions. We've had no music. Don't know what's going on. Silly. Um, so what we've got is the crunch and squawk of the sound effects, and they're not very good. They're not very good. No. And then we have the ugly sprites and backgrounds to contend with. Now, do it, it does move about the same pace as the arcade. Okay, fair enough. That pace is very slow. Mm. So the scrolling is smooth enough, I guess, but the gameplay is both tedious and frustrating enemies will quite often just appear from the ground where you are where you are causing you to lose health that's annoying yep um that's an annoyance number one they'll also drop down from the sky onto you causing you to lose health because you're too slow you can't get out of the way that's annoyance number two the collision detection is also shonky to say the least so punches and kicks might connect or they might not you know just roll a roll a die who knows sometimes enemies will walk through them and hit you which is annoyance number three so all of this is bad. You know, you can't if you can't rely on the basics of having enemies that don't spawn on you. We played I mean, we knocked Ghosts and Goblins for whatever sort of thing. But Ghosts and Goblins had the foresight that when zombies were coming out of the ground, I don't think they affected you until they were upright. Um and so but this, as soon as they appear, you take a hit. Crap. Don't like that. It's played out in near silence, as I said. So the overwhelming impression of this soon becomes annoying, dull, ugly, and very, very, very repetitive. Yes, this may have all the levels from the arcade and the bosses, but the gameplay is rote, even by the standards of the day, and lacks any kind of lasting appeal. This is a bad game. The main draw of this was the large sprites and well-drawn backgrounds and the thrill of beast mode in the arcade game. But all this is lost here. And once again, we have an arcade game stripped down to its component parts and rendered bereft of any enjoyment. With the System 16's ability to throw loads of detailed sprites around, this is always going to be a difficult job to replicate on the C64 again. You know, and whilst it's probably the best you're going to get given the hardware, no, expanded sprite, altered beast. That's not a good idea. And it's boring as well. You got boring mm-hmm. expanded sprites. It's just the worst. What were they thinking? And this got, what did it get? 73%? <sighs> This is, this is action fighter levels of terrible boring dull version of a boring dull original anyway there you go altered beast what did you think mm, principally always the same really i was never a fan of it in the arcades i played it a bit at the arcade club and i was bored it's just not a very interesting game maybe at the time maybe it was a bit of a revelation i don't know what else was around at the time bit of a weird old thing all in all i had a promising a track sequence in the c64 version i have to say Weirdly coloured and disappointing game there, wasn't it, after that? Mm-hmm. So much white and grey for the background in that first level. I mean, I know it's ancient Greece and whatever, but, you know, just bricks, really, isn't it? And, and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, that's like the arcade. They're just crap versions of the arcade levels. Though. Yeah, yeah. Your overly pink player and your weird jaundiced <laughs> players at the bottom. <laughs> Going on there. Bitty graphics, very bitty. Jolty scrolling, naff fighting, boring moves, dreary and boring sounds. And the beast mode, I mean, what really happens? He looks like a bodybuilder with a fox's head, but badly drawn and really clumpy to move. That, I mean, that's, that's not great, is it? it? Foxy bingo. It's, yeah, foxy bulk, you know, he's bulked out with a bit of whey protein. Was this passable on the C64? Well, it passed me because I skipped it. I didn't, I played it and thought, no, this is rubbish. Some of the later level graphics, maybe they look all right in the background, but I don't know, you'll never be able to escape the spam colored block of meat that you control and its ugliness. So I didn't enjoy the game at all. I thought it was an ugly-looking thing that that was a half-assed attempt at an arcade that was rubbish anyway. So for me, this lives in Nafsville 
And 73% is just stupid. This is 40s tops for a full price yeah. game like this. No, but there must have been arcade fans who were like, oh, finally, Alter Beast's been converted. I'm not sure those words have ever been spoken. That might be the first time they've ever been said out loud. Who knows? But um, not not my cup of tea at all, this. Um, and another dreary port. Stop, you know, all right, convert arcade games by all means, but stop doing a really rubbish dreariness. There was What was the one last time we played that was that dreary version of um, Kung Fu Master? And now we've got another dreary oh, vigi- version of... Vigilante. Yeah, so, you know, Vigilante, a dreary walking along punching stuff. Altered Beast, a dreary walking along punching stuff. Action Fighter, a dreary driving up game. Boring arcades make for boring games, regardless of how well they're converted. So, no, not for me, this. Not for me at all. No. No. There we go. Altered Beast. Just, just no. Just should have stayed away. Stay away. We don't need these games. We don't. Just don't need them. There we go. That's it. That's part one. That's our three first games. We've got four to come later on. But before that, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. We're going to look at TV and film from the UK in December 1989. What was lighting up? You know, what was going on for Christmas? It's Christmas time. Mm. There's no need to be afraid. Bradford, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll be back in a minute and we'll get on with that. See you in a bit. And we're back. Let's get into uh, some TV uh, and films for December 1989. For those who think we have a bit of a penchant for Coronation Street, you might be right. Um, Because uh, (laughs) this is why, on the 4th of December, ITV aired the 3,000th episode of Coronation Street. That's a lot of episodes. That is a lot. I mean, 3,000 by 1989. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's been going for a while, but my gosh, that's quite a lot. That's a lot of episodes, Percy. Isn't it? <laughs> it is here, Percy, love. It's loads of episodes. You're right, it is, Phyllis. It is, Phyllis. Yes, that is. <laughs> Good off, Phyllis. I don't know what to say about it. But you've noted here that as of now, 17th of January, uh, well, in 2024, there have been 10,230 episodes. That is correct. That is correct. That's Google-based information. That's correct. Who are we to question Google? Do you reckon someone's got them all downloaded onto a hard drive somewhere? Yeah, yeah, somebody will have all of those somehow recorded. I mean, you can even buy them all. You can buy if you want. Wow, good lord! Um, but yeah, there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of characters that have come and gone. Characters have died literally for real, not just in the show, but actual the people that played them. Loads of them have passed. We'll we'll t- we'll, we'll talk about one of those in a moment. Um, we will. Yeah, let, we, will. Yeah, let's do, we will talk about that on sixth of yeah. December, last episode of the twenty-six year original run of Doctor Who, part three of Survival, is broadcast on BBC <laughs> One. The long-running show would be off the air for 16 years until it was revived in 2005, with the only new material during this time being an American telemovie in 1996. I had a look at the link you put in this. Cheater people. It's it's a really weird fine finale to that. It's actually not a bad episode of the show, the three-parter. It's got the master in it for a start, and it's the, the original master, so the proper master with the little goatee beard and the evil laugh. He, he never really appears in it again. I don't think it may be briefly, but he's... Because he's, when he comes back in the American telly movie, it's not the same guy, is it, who plays the master? It's somebody different, which is a bit of a tragedy, nah. really. Um, and Sylvester McCoy, obviously, is the doctor in that. And it's the last time we saw Ace until fairly recently when she made a comeback in a recent episode. Mad as oh, that wow. is. Okay. So, yeah, so um, it's actually pretty good. And yes, there are cheetah people, but in actuality, it's a planet where the people are being de-evolved into these kind of animal things and Ace gets infected with whatever it is. I think it's a disease that makes them sort of devolve into different kind of animals and stuff like that. And the master's involved in some shenanigans. I can't remember the full story and you can go online and look at it all if you want to do that. Um, I think it's more famous for, there's there's some famous lines from the doctor in it, you know, where he sort of, they, they famously, I think, changed the ending slightly. So there's a voiceover over the final bit 
So originally the doctor kind of signed off, but he didn't have a kind of farewell little speech, and which people felt was a bit of a cheek, you know, this is a really long running sci-fi show, 26 years to just go, you know, to sign off with the end. And at the end of the episode, normally there would be Doctor Who will return next year, but of course there was none of that, which kind of freaked people out a bit because this was a bit of an institution. And so his final sentence is something like, oh, I'm going to go fly off in the stars and do something. You can read it in the Wikipedia page if you want to do that. Um, but it's just a little bit of a, you know, it's not so much of a fireworks show, is it? It's kind of a damp squib ending. Thankfully and mercifully, it came back with a bit of a bang later on in 2005. And then only recently has it kind of wobbled a bit, but it's actually started to get back into some good shape again recently. So it would be interesting to see how mm. it all pans out with the new Doctor and, well, two Doctors now, I suppose, and all the rest of it. But interesting Does stuff. Does my memory serve me correctly in thinking that... Um Sylvester McCoy does come back only to get to get machine gunned. Yeah, he gets shot right. At the, he comes out of the TARDIS and gets shot right at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the uh, telly series. Yeah, and then um, they're trying to do surgery on him, of course, and he keeps pulling these weird faces and close up going, ooh, ah! and then he dies <laughs> and then re- obviously regenerates and obviously then comes back as Paul McGann. Paul, Mag- Paul McGann in it, yeah. yeah. Who I actually thought was quite good in the role. Um, yeah, yeah but- not, I've got no problem with the t- telly movie. It's just a bit, you know, it was a necessary thing to sort of, keep the franchise alive because it was just it should never have been allowed to die the way it did but it needed to be yeah. turned off rethink refresh come back with a bang and it certainly did that in 2005 with christopher eccleston wasn't it yeah yeah i was always a bit disappointed that we never got a mcgann eccleston transformation though yeah they, they didn't do that did they they just kind of just you just appeared as you know run for your life wasn't appeared. it or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which I, they just sort of said you know what let's i don't think they figured out exactly how they were going to do it but no maybe probably not have. no also, 6th of December, the first terrestrial television showing of Stanley Kubrick's 1980 psychological horror classic, The Shining, on ITV, based on Stephen King's 1977 novel of the same name. This was the American theatrical cut of the film, mm. running 25 minutes longer than the version previously it released does. in the UK. I didn't know about I don't know which version I've seen then. Which version have I, ah. did I go watch at the cinema the other week? So, interestingly, the British version or the European version, is the one that Kubrick said was the proper version. So this American version's got loads of extraneous stuff in it. So if you've seen a version where um, they take Danny to the doctors and the doctor diagnoses series, some series of things wrong with him at the beginning, you've seen the American one. There's loads of extraneous guff that isn't required. Because that's cut out of the British version and this version that was shown, it actually makes it a lot punchier and it makes the meaning of Jack's changeover because it sort of rationalised Jack's mental state earlier on in the film by saying that he's obviously got problems and he's hit Danny and he's done all these things. And so it sort of lays the groundwork for him being kind of a bit of a monster already. Take all that out and then his transformation later becomes all the more crazy because he just goes from being kind of a nice guy to being this complete. And you start, you find more out about him later through the context of the film as opposed to a doctor explaining it, which is kind of what the American without sounding too glib about, you know, that kind of thing. But American audiences sometimes need a bit more explanation than the rest of us. Right. Okay. (laughs) So that's why. It's weird that that was all filmed, though, and made. Kubrick's usually quite p- picky yeah. about what he films, isn't he? And I thought he films what he needs. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, that- he did that. Um, but I think the his, his impression was that he didn't need to put some of that th- stuff in for the British and the European market. Yeah, fair enough. So it's a tailored version that we get. So it's his vision that he thinks we, we, we don't need some of those over explanations we don't need some of the obviousness well before the days of director's cuts we got a director's cut yeah exactly that and uh, there's a really good article on it about the whole version the shorter version and why it's better and stuff like that which we can post in the show notes which is quite good Mm -hmm. 8th of december alan bradley played by mark eden is fatally run over by a blackpool blackpool tram on coronation street see this is why we (laughs) watched it it got the soap's biggest ever audience almost 27 million viewers (laughs) viewers <laughs> a it's record incredible. that remains to this day 27 million people watch yeah. this 
I mean, it's, it's, and to be fair, just as a quick explanation, by the way, it isn't like it's, it's just some random guy getting run over by a tram and everyone tuned in to watch it. He was <laughs> yeah. like, he was torturing one of the main characters for quite some time and he was, he'd murdered a few people and it was a big story arc, wasn't it? It was very much and so, yeah. She'd escaped him and gone on the run and then he tracked her down to Blackpool. She to was Blackpool. with Bet Lynch at the time. She goes off wandering out. He grabs hold of her and snatches a shover in a car. She gets out of the car, tries to run away. He grabs hold of her. And then um, somehow he gets run over by a tram, which don't run that fast. So it's kind of, it's run over really slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, sh- it'd just be shunted a bit, I would have thought. And then Bet Lynch runs over to the character, what's her name? The character who's being, Rita Fairclough, isn't it? Oh, it was Rita, wasn't it? Yeah, Rita. Yeah, it yes. runs up to Rita Fairclough and she, she's malfunctioned and turned into kind of a broken <laughs> robot going, <laughs> so it's weird. It's like, she was a robot all along. She was a goddamn robot. That's what, that was my take. Rita was That's a robot. Thought. She's a goddamn, like in Aliens. It's, it's Aliens. It's Bette Lynch knocked her head off with a giant newspaper. She was a goddamn <laughs> robot. That's why tw- 27 million people were very shocked <laughs> at this turn of events. That's, that's what could have happened. It isn't actually what happened, but the actual, it actually would have made it better, a bit of sci-fi, wouldn't it? It's underwhelming when you watch it back. It's just like a, a guy gets bumped by a tram and it's like, oh, yeah. nobody gets off the tram. Nobody's bothered. Nobody cares. <laughs> the tram carries on. <laughs> it's Blackpool. That tram has got a schedule to keep, and it's got to keep that schedule or the pe- people complain. The tram also looked armoured. It looked like a battle truck. No, <laughs> they don't look like a pleasant little tram like you get in um, some of the cities like San Francisco. This one looked like it was like the A-team had, had to go in and put some, you know, some panelling on it. Um, <laughs> 11th of December, debut of The Art of Landscape on Channel 4. A program that shows slowly changing sceneries, animations, and landscapes accompanied by music. This initially lasted for three hours. It's broadcast throughout the morning when IT schools were off air. From March 1990, the slot is reduced to 30 minutes. (laughs) That's quite the slice. Uh, An aired price to the Channel 4 Daily. After disappearing from the schedule in early 91, it makes a one-off return in August 1997. Weird, weird, weird. Do you remember this? Uh, vaguely, it's all out there on YouTube though, and I tell you what, this this has got serious fans. Amb- it's very ambient, I imagine. There's a lot of ambient music fans that really like that, and there's even a landscape HD channel <laughs> wow. devoted to that stuff. So people just like having it on the background. Maybe they're smoking weed. Who knows? I'm not saying. I'm I'm not judging, but maybe they are. No, yeah. I mean my TV has sort of screensaver now, which is just landscapes. So I just sit and watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's probably that. Probably that. It's probably a similar thing. Just need some music. 17th of December, the network television premiere of John Hughes's 1985 American fantasy comedy, Weird Science, on BBC Two, starring Anthony Michael Hall, uh, Ilan, Mike Mitchell-Smith, Kelly LeBrock, and Bill Paxton. Weird Science. Good music. And a good performance by... I was like Bill Paxton in this film. Yeah, he's great in that. Great yeah, in that. What's he called? Bud, Bud, Bud. Chud. Chad. He gets, he gets turned like into a wart, doesn't he? Yes, he does. <laughs> and just sits there farting and... <laughs> yeah, he's very good in that. He plays the horrible brother, doesn't he, very well? Yeah. Um, I mean, this as it's very. This is an episode where we're going to say this quite a lot. This is very much a film of its time. <laughs> it is a film of its time. Teenage fat fantasy of the 80s. And, you know, yeah. it is what it is. It is what it is. It is quite funny. It's a sort of, I guess it's a tech... Tech teenage fan, uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, it's it's of the. It, there's a, there was a genus of these films around that time, weren't there? Was the fast, uh, not fast times at Richmond, although that's sort of that ilk, but more that kind of. Um, what's the one with the, they got the dead body to carry around? What's that one? I can't remember the name. Oh, of that Weekend one, at Bernie's. Yes, yeah, so it's Weekend at Bernie's. Similar cast actually, and drive driving license to drive and stuff like that. 
Yeah, just teenage, teenage comedies with different types of things. Was it, what was that one? Frank, Frank and Hooker? Would that have been there as well? Return of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 24th of December. So Christmas Eve, what did we do on Christmas Eve? ITV showed the 1984 made-for-television version of A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott. That's all right. Okay, that's, fair. That. that's fair. That's yeah, fair. Right. Christmas Carol. Um, yeah. I don't really remember this version of it though. I probably did it. I probably enjoy it because, like, yeah, you can watch the whole thing on YouTube if you want. Not no, now though; good. it's not very seasonal now. It's not. No, we missed that, aren't we? Uh, the network television premiere of Jim Henson's nineteen eighty six fantasy adventure Labyrinth on BBC One, starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. We've spoke about that before. The yeah, film. we have. Good, good so film. That, that bulge. Lots of bulge in that. <laughs> lots of lots of Barry bulge. Just what you lots need. Lots of Barry for, bulge, yeah, and, he, see, and he's juggling his balls a lot in that. <laughs> you can see where he stuffed his Brussels sprouts from his Christmas you dinner. Well, can yeah. um, the iconic British Airways face advert is first aired. It's made by advertising firm Satchi and Satchi, having been written by Graham Fink and Jeremy Clark, with Hugh Hudson as director, which also often considered to become a, a television commercial classic. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it when I watched it back. I'm like, it didn't seem that amazing to me. I didn't look. I didn't I watch know. it. I, I missed this. What? What is it again? It's a, it's a it's an advert for British Airways where they there's loads of people walking on a beach and they form like a giant face. Um, I forget what the tagline is now because it's so long ago. But yeah, I'll put the advert in the show notes if you watch it if you want. It's I'll apparently very famous. I okay. think there's more famous adverts than that, but what do I know? Yeah, it doesn't ring any bells for me either. Christmas Day, <laughs> our Christmas Day highlights on BBC One include the network television premiere of Paul Hogan's 1986 smash hit comedy Crocodile Dundee and the John Cleese film <laughs> Clockwise. I remember watching Crocodile Dundee that Christmas because my dad was like a massive fan of that, so we we had to watch it. I think I watched it as well. You what? Well, you did. There was nothing. You didn't have a choice. It was like no. you put the big film on, and yeah. Croc- Crocodile Dundee's good. It's a good, funny film. It's all right. The yeah. debut of Noel Chris- Noel's Christmas Presents on BBC One, presented by Noel Edmonds. I won't watch that though. Schmaltzy, Schmaltzy. I seem yeah. to remember Schmaltzy. Yeah. Christmas Day highlights on ITV include the network television premieres of the BFG. Quite sad, isn't it? Quite sad. And Down and Out in Beverly Hills. (laughs) My sides are going to split. God. Christmas cheer. Is that the McNulty one? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's not not what you call classic Christmas Day. The BFG is not that nice, is it? No, really, no. The children's series Playbus is renamed Playdays. What a weird day to do it on. Yeah, if, you, well, if you're going to do it, do it on Christmas Day. No one will notice. The show's name is changed after the BBC received a complaint from the National Playbus Association. The, but the first thing was when they got the letter was, there's a what? Who? Uh, <laughs> the NPA? <laughs> Are they some kind of terrorist organisation? <laughs> is, is, this, is this run by... Uh, who's, who's? All right, just change the bloody name of it. Must we'll be pretty change. influential. Yeah, it must be. 26th of December, Boxing Day highlights... On ITV, include the network television premieres of the blockbuster 1983 Star Wars sequel, Return of the Jedi. Incredible. That's a network premiere six years later. Six years later. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, As well as the 1986 comedy film, Ruthless People, starring Danny DeVito. Now, the mad thing is, I actually found that someone had recorded that introduction to Return of the Jedi off ITV on Christmas Day, Christmas 1989. <laughs> of course they did. So, so I'll put that in the show notes because you can actually watch the, it's like the introduction to the, ad, there's adverts, an introduction to what's coming and then there's the actual introduction and he says, and I quote, it's a blah, 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 may the Star Wars Force still be with you. <laughs> Do these continuity announcers ever watch the damn films? <laughs> the Star Wars Force. <laughs> and I'll give you th- three guesses who said that. Was it was it uh, Jan Michiel Yar? It is. <laughs> was it Redfuss? Redfuss. Redfuss. <laughs> like it's the Yorkshire TV introduction. I was like, oh, he doesn't do anything right, does he? 
bless his Yom cotton socks. Yom Michel Yah. This is Darth Vader. Remember Darth he said Vader, now Star yeah. Wars with Darth Vader. And then he says, may the Star Wars force still be with you. So it's not the Star Wars force, is it? Stupid fool. I reckon Ooh. he did it. I reckon he did it on purpose just to see what he could get through. No one could stop him, so it's probably live. He's probably sat there doing it live. He, he made me do Barlow face. <laughs> I did Barlow, full Barlow face on that. <laughs> full Barlow. Oh, 29th of December, Deirdre Barlow and Kirk Bride confronts her husband, Ken Barlow, on Coronation Street before throwing Again. him out, ending their decade-long television marriage. It's all going millions on the street this month. In. It is. Millions <laughs> tuned in to watch. It's a really funny confrontation, actually. I found the clip. Of course it's been recorded. Of course it has. I found the clip. We'll post it in the show notes where Ken comes back from being at, with his affair woman comes back in and just stands like a big block of meat getting shouted at to get out. And he's like, what do you mean get out? Get out. You can't just kick me out. What about Tracy? What about Tracy? She knows everything. Get out. This is exciting. <laughs> I made it way more exciting, actually. That's you a good impression I want to watch it now. Especially if Ken does that face. Well, that's later. That's that's later in another episode when he malfunctions. That's not the same episode. <laughs> oh, shame. Um, but Deirdre's definitely possessed in the other one you've got there. The other one's going she on is, there. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, their story arcs. I mean, their story arc goes from them splitting up at Christmas 1989 to Ken discovering he's some kind of broken android, I think. (laughs) And uh, Deirdre, it turns out she's possessed by by the demon. If you want to know what these are, if you search, was it just search for Coronation Street episodes? Yeah, well, we can maybe maybe stick these images somehow in the show notes, or we'll figure out a way. But someone's done quite comedy based um, thumbnails for them, in which (laughs) Ken looks like he's broken. And Deirdre he looks broken. like she's possessed. So uh, just do yourself a, a favour. Watch that clip of Ken Barlow when he's malfunctioned because he's he tells somebody <laughs> he's in a hospital bed at that point. I think he's had a stroke, but he's uh, he's telling somebody to get out. And it, well, it, either it's an extraordinary acting performance, or he just <laughs> slightly scrunches his face up, looks out the corner of one eye, and goes go. So you you be the judge of that. You be the judge. <laughs> Uh, he didn't win any awards, <laughs> let's put it that way. No, he didn't. He didn't win a soapy for that. <laughs> 31st of December, so New Year's Eve, the network television premiere of Peter Yates' 1983 oh, British-American science fiction fantasy adventure, Krull, on BBC uh. One. This, this, the, the cast is incredible. Kenneth Marshall, Liz Anthony, Freddie Jones, Francesca mm-hmm. Annis, Alan Armstrong, David Batley, Bernard Breslau, cool. Robbie Coltrane, <laughs> and Liam Neeson. Yeah. Liam Neeson in a very small bit part. Robbie Coltrane with, I think, one line of dialogue in it. Bernard, Bernard Breslau as a, as a cyclops. <laughs> He's a cycloptic colleague of theirs. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, Lisa Anthony's always worth watching, though. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. And I believe it was Lisa Anthony that did the voice for the female alarm in Alien Breed, the game on the Amiga. Could be wrong about that, but I'm feeling it is. Yeah, of course, okay. it's always Freddie Jones. It's got the Widow of the Web in there. And loads of fantasy stuff. Man turns into a goose. It does. Slayers, Beast, so much going on. Not all of it good. None of it good. <laughs> the Glaive. I like The Glaive. <laughs> the, the soundtrack is excellent for that film. Yeah, yeah, we could say that about a lot of these fantasy films. It but is. The, no, the, it, the, I like Krull. It's got its charm. <laughs> no, there's some good there's some some good VFX in that film, albeit they are what they are. But there's some really some interesting attempts at some really interesting visuals in that film, you know, especially the animal transformations and stuff. I don't like the lead character in his beard. No one does. He's a he's like Richard Stilgo, a young version of Richard Stilgo and <laughs> Nobody wanted that. Especially when he gets this smooch on with this Anthony. Everyone was like going, him? But you know, you go. That's what it is. There you go. He did a more muscular hero for that film, really. It did. Someone bigger and well-grown. BBC it One did. says goodbye to the 80s with Clive James on the 80s, a special two-hour programme reviewing the decade. Yes. So Clive James was very popular around this time. Australian, isn't he? Australian comedian, was, writer, yeah. and yes. TV presenter. Famous for people did it want to do an impression of Clyde James. You had to just sort of imagine that someone had put a very heavy weight on the top of your head and <laughs> press yourself down and 
Yeah, I don't. He was I can't like do it, but he was a bit like a compressed potato face. He was very accomplished writer though, and amazing writer. And and some of his TV shows over the years have been quite interesting. I'm and sure he's passed bit, away yeah. now. I think. They were funny, yeah. BBC Two has its own review of the 80s with the Late Show 80s featuring highlights of the 80s rock music. That's a cosy 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it'll just be all spandex. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then about an hour of sa- Saxon, hopefully. <laughs> no. <laughs> and no finally, the, Saxon. Anim- <laughs> the animated special Grandpa, based on the book by veteran English children's author and illustrator John Birmingham, Produced by John Coates, directed by Diane Jackson. Best for working on the animated Christmas special, The Snowman, shown on mm. Channel 4 at 6.30pm. <sighs> I think this was Boring. probably, this was probably, I think, the first uh, New Year's Eve that I was out. I don't remember being in for that myself. Because uh, I was 17, just nearly 18 at this point, so I think I was down the yeah, pub. I don't remember being in for that, to be fair. In fact, I do think I was down the pub, actually, because I think I was at the Troll... And I drank loads of thing and then threw up in the back of someone's car on the way back, well, which wasn't a nice thing to do for them to actually you know, have to do on Christmas Eve. But I was no, very, very tell you, drunk. Throwing up in somebody's car is the worst thing you can do. I know. I wasn't proud of it. And I did ask him to stop because I knew I was going to do it and he wouldn't yeah, it's stop. Terrible. And you know the troll to Wybers. It's not a long drive. It was just coming down no. Great Coats Road. It could have stopped loads of places, but he just wouldn't. If you'd have thrown up in my car, they'd have just found your body somewhere. <laughs> I'm not so proud I'm of it. I'm not proud of it. Terrible. But I, I said I was like, I'm going to be sick. Can you please stop the stop the car? Cause I'm going to I'm going to throw up. There, you know. I was like, no, I really am. And then I want. You step in the window. Oh, that's blowback territory. And plus, I was in the middle. <laughs> there was five of us in the car. Terrible, terrible thing. Anyway, there you go. That's what happens though if you drink too much. You know, be and careful. You're, out you're, there. You know, seventeen. You just you got to live and learn, aren't you? New TV shows this month. Second of December, we had Frederick Forsyth presents. Didn't we just have Dick Francis presents? What is it with Probably. these crime I never authors? Watched, never watched a single one of them, and I never will. No, basically it's a series of made-for-television films. You know, based on yep. books. Eighth of December, Stay Lucky. This was a British television comedy drama series. Starred, uh, mm. ran for a number of years, made by Yorkshire Television. It starred Jan Francis and Dennis Waterman. Hey, Terry Strong himself, yeah. Terry Strong. Uh, Jan Francis was a popular a actress as well. She was a bit of an 80s looker, wasn't she? She was in quite a few things, Jan Francis, but if you know. Yeah, yeah she was. Um, she was, once she was in with, with the amount of brushstrokes, I seemed to one of them seemed to Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing. I think it's this, she's the kind of woman in the 80s shows of uh, sort of rom-coms like this, sitcoms, that Dennis Waterman would chase and she'd be like, oh, Dennis. And he'd be like, yeah, love. <laughs> yeah. Well, she wouldn't call him Dennis, would she? She'd call yeah. him by his other name, Terry. She, she was she was a bit, she was like, she was dad totty, wasn't she? To put it yes, a, that's a good, uh, perfect explanation. Yes, actually, yeah. Yeah, but for the time. Why are you watching that? Oh, it's a good show. It's funny. It's got that woman in it. Oh, I don't notice her. Yeah, all right. Of course you don't. Yeah, yeah. 21st of December, The Shell Seekers. God, what? no. Some- no. Hallmark Hall of Fame made for television drama. Um, God knows, who cares? 24th of December, we had The Woman in Black. This was an adaptation of the 1983 novel, The Same Name by Susan Hill, focusing on a young solicitor sent to a coastal English village, settled the estate of a reclusive widow and finds the town haunted. Wasn't this remade recently? Is a film with Harry Potter in it? Daniel Radcliffe, Woman (laughs) in Black? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, with Daniel Radcliffe. It's good, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. There was a sequel as well, which I remember not being as good. It's usually the case. Yeah, probably. Um, 26th of December, KTV. No. Do you want to tell people what KTV was, Graham? The Crankies <laughs> made some kind of televisual comeback. This should have been stopped way before way before it even got to the stage where they had were filming something. This should have been stopped in its tracks. There's nothing ever good that can come of it. No. <laughs> ever. The, the crank, for those who don't know what the Crankies are, or who the Crankies, what the Crankies are, the Crankies are, they're a husband and wife double act, comedy double act, where he plays a full-grown adult and she plays a young schoolboy. <laughs> 
can't say it and make it sound ordinary, can you, or normal? It's not. It's not normal. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what she does. I found an image of them. There's loads of them on the internet. And this is just, no, this is atypical of an image. And everything about that image was bad. Everything. He looked like Fred West. And it looked like he'd grabbed a kid off the street and she's dressed like a sort of a super stylized target. Um, it's not a nice image. It's too much, too many kinds of wrong. No, no matter, no amount of thumbs up and fan dabby dozers are going to help you. <laughs> fan dabby dozers. They did do a lot of good, those two, in terms of the work they did for, they did amazing work for charity and all sorts of stuff they did. And no, don't get me wrong. Uh, Hart, a very kind comedy couple doing comedy stuff. And their novelty act in the 70s was, like you said, you know, she was playing like an obnoxious kid. And he and she was quite small in stature, so they could sort of get away with it. And she and he was kind of the the sort of the, you know, what they call him the the boring one, where they have like the funny one and the quick and the boring. Yeah, one, yeah. You know, the, he was the Tommy Cannon to her Bobby Ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly that. In fact, they're very much that kind of ilk, except in a mod through a modern lens. There's no not not good can come of that lens when you look at it. You're like this is this is this is just so so wrong in so many ways. It's crazy that he was even on. <laughs> that lens cracks um, badly. 27th of December, <laughs> moving on, 27th of December, Till We Meet Again, a two-episode yeah. television miniseries based on the 1988 Judith Krantz novel. Stad called no. Cox this. Yeah. Young Young and Bruce Boxleitner yeah. brought okay. back alive. Who cares? And Hugh um, Grant. And Hugh Grant, yeah. Um, 28th of December is the new Yogi Bear show. Oh, God. So this is weird. This series, okay. So this is made in nineteen eighty nine. Uh, this was nineteen eighty eight originally, produced by Hannah Brown Productions, aired on syndication from December twelfth to November eleventh, nineteen eighty eight. The series serves as the final season to the nineteen sixty one series. Bizarre. <laughs> also serving as a sequel and a revival. That's it. Was I mean, imagine waiting for this twenty? Who wanted it? <laughs> twenty? I don't know. Hannah or Barbara? Were they were they inundated with letters saying what happened to Yogi? <laughs> Absolutely. How can you leave it on that cliffhanger? <laughs> Absolutely. I like to think that when when they revisited her after all this time, Yogi had just gone so feral. He was like a wild bear. <laughs> well, it's like but Boo Boo had gone into the red room. They wanted to know what happened. <laughs> what happened to what happened to Ranger Parker's daughter, Laura? Who knows? Yeah. Or or maybe it was like Ted, you know, they're just, they just become <laughs> sentient. They were just weed smoking crazies, <laughs> yeah. just sat in the park, slagging people off and having like opinions about everything. It's so weird though, because in that period of time, things, you had things like, you know, Hair Bear Bunch and all those kind of crazy 70s yeah. stuff go through. And then Yogi Bear came back. Who knew? What a weird Nobody thing. Nobody wanted him. Go back, Yogi Bear. Yeah, back with you. 28th December, this is a tailor of Gloucester. <sighs> this no. film tells the story of poor Taylor, his cat, and the mice that live in his shop. No. <laughs> 29th of December is Commercial Breakdown. This later became Carrot's Commercial Breakdown, didn't it? It did. Um, this is a light entertainment show that shows humorous television advertisements from around the world and ran from 29th December. British adverts were initially not allowed because of the BBC's Royal Charter. Advertising is completely forbidden on the BBC. It is verboten. However, presently, provided the adverts are not currently being broadcast, they are allowed. Many of the adverts were international, which means they were not selling items on the British market. And as you have rightly noted... There's lots of Euro, there's lots of sort of Rudy Euro adverts. Yes, there was. It was it was that entire phase of, hey, look what those crazy Euro people do. Look at those crazy Swedes and the crazy Norwegians. What are they doing with the crazy boobies in the adverts? The crazy boobs. <laughs> It's like, yeah, or whatever. They're just advertising stuff. Standards. <laughs> yeah. It's pr- prototyped to a precursor to things like Euro trash and stuff, I guess. Yeah, completely. But it's just, you know, they're designed for people of a certain age to go, oh, gosh, goodness me. You'd never get away with that in here, would you? I suppose it's that reaction, that kind of reaction is what they want. They just film it now for Gogglebox. But yeah, that kind of, oh, goodness me, Deirdre, did you see that? 
it. It's outrageous. I'm going to have to rewind it, watch it again. Absolutely. Look at the meatballs <laughs> on that. <laughs> if you didn't fancy any of that and you wanted to go to the cinema in December, on the 1st of December, you could have gone and seen When Harry Met Sally. Good film, that, actually. It, it, it's okay. I mean, again, probably very much of its time. I'm not sure how much it stands up today. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know, yeah. maybe, sort of thing. But this was, this was primarily fe- made famous for that one scene where Meg yeah. Ryan fakes an orgasm in the... Um, in the restaurant or the sort of... Yes, a restaurant in New York. And let me tell you something about that. You can go to that restaurant in New York still and you can sit at that table and pay extra to sit at when Harry and Sally's table and you you can reenact the scene if you want to there and they'll even film it for you on your phone. And there's even big signs up on the wall saying this is where they filmed and when Harry met Sally, the famous scene at that table. So I hate hate this world. (laughs) That's it. That's in New York. I hate it. I hate this world. (laughs) Crazy, but there it is. Uh, But yeah. Um, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't remember much else of the film. I just remember him spitting, trying to spit pips out the, the car window. Yeah, up. I like Billy Crystal though, so I'll watch it because he's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, yeah, it's all right. It's probably not as bad as some of the films we're probably going to mention coming up. This but, month. Yeah, true. And, and Billy Crystal kind of didn't ruin himself, but whenever I hear Billy Crystal, I just think of Mike from um, Mike Wazowski from uh, Monsters Inc. All oh, right. I, yeah, can, yeah. I can't help but hit, when I hear his voice, I just think of that. Me, you, and me together, and uh, put that thing back where it came from, and all that. So, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I always think of him in um, Princess Bride in the little and Princess end. Bride, yeah, to blade, <laughs> which you want me, yeah, to bluff. He probably got killed in a poker game. <laughs> liar, <laughs> liar. <laughs> um, I'm not uh, listening. <laughs> uh, same day. If you didn't fancy when Harry met Sally, you could have gone seen Ghostbusters 2. You probably did. And like me, you were probably mm. disappointed. Confused. Yeah. So the main issue, so obviously Ghostbusters 2, it's four years after the first one. Um, and there's loads of issues with this one. The, the main problem for me, though, it's got no proper ending. It, it yeah. ends way too quickly. So it's like, it's all over and done with. The, the old buildup of the painting and the everything, and the, but it's just all yeah. over the place. Um, and I, I can't help but feel that this was, you know, we need a Ghostbusters thing because we want to sell more Ghostbusters toys. That was Maybe. It. It, was a, it, it was a marketing thing. As I found a review of this on TV Guy. They didn't like it. Um, just to sum up, Ghostbusters 2 is such a lazy effort that the formula machinery is laid bare for all to see. It suffers from writing that is obvious, sloppy, and imaginative. Old ideas are slightly disguised and regurgitated, with characters arbitrarily altered to fit the new context. The most irritating aspect of this sorry sequel is the overwhelming aura of self-congratulation that permeates it. Ouchie. I know, they really didn't like it, did they? No, to be fair, I totally get that. Did you like Ghostbusters 2? I like parts of it. There's some funny bits here. There's some weird bits there. I like the character that plays the the, 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 um, the museum curator guy. I can't remember his name now. Hmm. Um, what's his name? Um, but then the one that's always going, oh, Vigo. You know, yeah, and, I, and I quite like yeah. the idea of what the idea of it, but it's literally incoherent, crazy. They go from finding a river of slime under something to a picture coming alive, to a toaster jumping about, to the Statue of Liberty coming alive, to them shooting a, to the library of American library. And I think New York is covered in slime. And it's just, they just threw in lots of bits that make no sense. Aren't they all in the painting at the end? Sort of like sort of Renaissance style painting. Yeah, it's just it's just it doesn't make any sense. And there's loads of stuff in the trailer for this that never made it to the final release of the film. I think there's a scene in a jeweler's. There's there's a sequence in it which is 
where the Ghostbusters are going off doing Ghostbustery things, a la, you know, a sort of a montage. But it's really cut down in the film, so it literally makes no sense. It's almost like they, there's a part where we're in the jewelers, and then all of a sudden there's lasers firing everywhere, and it just stops. And it's sort of you're like, what, what is going on here? But this looks like there's a lot more to those sequences. But yeah, there probably is. And it also had a, the main tune was well, the main tune wasn't Ghostbusters. It was some Bobby no. Brown nightmare. Oh, uh, it was awful. That bloody crappy Ghostbusters two music, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah. So it yeah, wasn't bit of a, good. No. Um, if you didn't fancy either of those, you could have gone seeing Tank Mauling. Yeah, I didn't. Never heard of it. Ray Winston film, never heard of it. I'm sure it's all right. It's a British, nope. British film. Ray Winston it might be all right, but never heard of it. 8th of December, you could have gone seen Mystery Train. Three stories connected by Memphis Hotel and the spirit of Elvis Presley. It's a Jim Jarmusch film. Say no more. So, uh, say no more. 15th of December, you could have gone seen The Dream Team. Four mental patients on a field trip in New York City must save their caring chaperone who ends up being taken to a hospital in a coma after accidentally witnessing a murder before the killers can find him and finish the job. I'm not sure yeah. if this is, will have aged well. It doesn't sound like it, does it? No. It has a whiff of um, uh, see no evil, hear no evil about the plot as well. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. Is it Michael Keaton in it? And yeah, so it is, yeah. 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 I yeah. think Peter, Peter Boyle, I think, as well. Yeah, it's, it's got one of the guys out of um, uh, Animal House in it as well. Yeah, uh, Ned. Is it Dorfman? Yeah, he plays... Yeah, plays, yeah, Flounder, plays Dorfman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A pledge pin on your <laughs> uniform. Let's face it, you didn't, throw, you didn't throw up in front of Dean Werner, you threw up on <laughs> Dean Werner. Daniel Simpson Day has no grade point average. <laughs> All courses failed. <laughs> that drunk and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Mr. Blutoski, 0.0. It's <laughs> <This is> brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant film. In fact, I'm going to have to watch that again, actually. I'm going to have to watch it. Great film. Same day, if you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seen The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. Do you know, I remember seeing the advert for that, the trailer, so many times, but never have I watched it. The Wolves of Willoughby Chase. It's Tom Tom Baker, isn't it? Tom Baker, yeah. because yeah, I watched it earlier today, that, that trailer. Because <laughs> in a time far, 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 far ago or something, it's like, that doesn't make sense. But it's also, no. it's just Victorian. <laughs> yeah, it's not that far away. Yeah, it's like hundred years or so ago. <laughs> because in, with people who may not have existed, but wolves who definitely did. Like, uh, what's this? No, uh, it's based on a book. I think. I mean, it looks quite Christmassy. Yeah, I probably watched it one Christmas somewhere at some point. It looks very much of that ilk. It's wintry and stuff like that. And you know, is what it is. Twenty second of December, though. Well, you could have gone seen Earth Girls Are Easy. Could have if you wanted to. <laughs> not to, to all I've written about is Jesus talking about month of not aging well. Um, it hasn't aged well that film. This is I watched the trailer for this and it's just awful, awful. I remember yeah. at the time it being awful, bad. You know, Gina Davis and I mean, what what a thing after doing the fly together, you then make Earth Girls yeah. Are Easy. Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, yeah, and they're married at this point or dating, I believe. I don't know. I'm not sure if they very well may have been, but she's married to uh, Rennie Howard, isn't she? Yeah, she wasn't then. Oh, maybe not then. Did they meet on Thingy, that that pirate film? Well, they met when he turned into a fly. <laughs> no, Rennie Harlan, I mean. Yes, that's what I mean, for real. <laughs> I'm Rennie Harlan. <laughs> Kill me. No, I'm not. I'm going Let's to direct married. a pirate film. <laughs> and action. <laughs> Get out of here, you bloody crazy wasp. Clap. Oh, you put him in the, you got him with the clapboard. Oh. <laughs> Rennie's he been broke crushed. his wing off. Sorry, Help Rene. Me. Help me. Help me. Oh, he got stuck in a spider web again, for God's sake. <laughs> but anyway, Earth Girls Are Easy is dreadful. 
just dreadful. If you want to it see is. how bad it is, you don't remember it, just go watch the trailer and go, oh, yeah. my good God. It ain't um, good. It ain't good. Um, 26th of December, you could have gone seen The Delinquents. Yeah, you could have. You will, a lot of people would have for one reason only. Yeah, Raunchy Minogue. Yeah, she gets her boobs out in that, I believe. I do think she does, yeah. Small town in Australia in the late 50s. Brownie and Lola are deeply in love, but because they are underage, their parents are against the relationship and try to separate them. Mm. There we go. Finally, yeah. to round out the month, same day, you could have gone seen Uncle Book. And you should have, because it's a good film, Uncle Book. It is a good film. It is, as we've as we've rightly noted here, the best of the candy-led films. Yeah, it is. It is, easily. It's the most complete, the most funny, because he's actually playing a character that he plays in other films. So he's playing a kind of Del Griffiths character from Planes, Trains, mixed with a little bit of the kind of character that he plays in Home Alone, because he obviously plays the... He's one of the guys in the van with the polka guys in it. Polka polka is one oh, of those yeah. guys in there. Yeah, he is, yeah. So so he, so he's sort of playing that kind of character that John Candy plays very well when he plays those. More Del mm. Griffith about it than most others. But there's some really great sequences in that film. Yeah. It is really quite funny. Really and there's funny. also there's also the good thing about this is that his character has a character arc. Rather than who's yeah. having crumb, whether it's not, it's stupid. This is Just a film crap, about yeah. a person having to, you know, babysit someone and, and learn yeah. that the life that they're leading is not that great. You know, they're... Yeah. they're, 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 they're you know they cheat. They they have this ongoing relationship. They're betting too much. All these things going wrong. Yeah. And then you know it's a film about what you know seeing family life and actually caring for people and having people that rely on you changes you into a a better human being because that's the whole point of the film, isn't it? So that's the message this film is making. So it's a very very deep reading of Uncle Book, a light hearted comedy about well, a fat that's guy. A, that's the theme behind it, isn't it? That's that's <laughs> the, that's the thematic. So I'm yes, not going to say, yes. but, but that's what that's what makes it better. Is what I'm saying. That's the underlight. So it, it's those elements. I've always thought of him as it's like it's like Home Alone, and it's like his uncle came to came to visit because it's pretty much the house at Home Alone. It's got Macaulay Culkin in it playing a it kid, is, yeah. the same kid he plays in that. So it's like yeah. Uncle Book's like a it's like a Home Alone spin off. I think. Yeah, bit. it's, so, it's somewhere in the middle of it? it's somewhere in the middle of Home Alone and Planes Trains. Yep. It sits yep. nicely in the middle of those two, and but, it's a good film. And also ends on the classic John Candy, candy face. Frame. Yeah, a bit of candy face. But there is some amazing moments in that. The sequence with the mole when he goes to see the school headmistress. <laughs> it's a bit mean these days, but 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 it's but it's damn funny. Uh, the angry rant he does as he leaves is uh, is great. But yeah, you know, there's, there's loads of good scenes when film. he's uh, when he's trying to get the washing in the washing machine. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. the relationship with the neighbour <laughs> and everything that, that goes yeah. on. Um, She's and, played really well as well, the neighbour. Yeah, and the, and the sort of terrorising the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, very good film. Go, go, definitely. I might have to revisit that one as well. Actually, it's been a while since I watched Uncle Book. Yeah, uh, I, I've watched it recently actually, so it's, it is good. To watch yeah, that. Good. Film, and there you right? go. So that's it. That's what we enjoyed over the Christmas of 1989. A strange mm. bunch of films, a strange bunch of TV, but we got to see it. a lot of people watch Coronation Street. Is what I've taken away from Half that. Half a country watched Coronation Street. Half a country watched a man get it by a tram. Fun. <laughs> we know it. what to do Christmas. We do Absolutely. it well. We do it ace. Absolutely. We do. Welcome to, welcome to England or Britain. <laughs> That's welcome what we to do. Britain, yeah. Yeah, all right. We're going to take a quick break and go away. We've got four games still to come, and then that's it. The year is done. So we'll see you in a moment. All right, and we're back. So... Four games, let's waste no time. Graham, it's over to you to tell us all about the joys of Battle Chess. Ah, okay. Well, Battle Chess was from Electronic Arts. It was 14.99s, as I might say. Uh, Mm. 85%. Great. Disc only, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's Donely. Only the Donely. (laughs) 
Um, it was developed by Interplay Productions. They did Bard's Tale and Neuromancer. Yeah, they um, did. And the guy that did the C64 version for them was a guy called Alan Adam. Um, Alan Adam? Yeah, Alan Adam. The artwork here is by Scott Bessier and Todd Camaster. Um, and mm. the sound effects are by Dave Warhol. Um, there's no music as such, but there are some sound effects, spot effects. And the box art was R. Davison. And there you go. That's the that's the gang. I remember Battle Chess more on the Amiga than I do the C64. But that said, I did have it on both. Now, let me also, as an addendum to this, let me briefly explain my relationship with the game chess. I can play chess <laughs> in a basic way. I would I would never con- I would never consider myself. I mean, I would I am an amateur player at best. I am you no know, novice amateur. That's me. I know the parameters of chess. As in what moves, where and how and who and all. I know all that stuff. I don't know the various ways of playing chess. I don't know the principles of defense, the different phases of the game, other than start, middle and end. But, you know, apart from this opening, middle and close, the multitudes of different openings, such as the Italian game, the Queen's Gambit, the Caro Khan defense, and the whole bunch of stuff that there is, the Trompowski attack. I know nothing of those things. You never studied? So, no, because I've never really, really played chess to that extent. So I know people that do, and I know that they know those things. And I also know people that are very, very good at chess. And as far as I know, they're probably brilliant at it. I wouldn't know. I don't play chess generally at all. But they would certainly beat me with ease, that much I can tell you. All that I have to do is instigate one of those opening things, and I am royally foobard, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) Now, on a different note, my dad, however, was a chess savant. You may not know that about him. And that came from years of playing chess when he was out at sea, combined with extensive chess knowledge and playing games across all the time. He used to play chess games all the time with all sorts of different players, both nationally and all over the world. You know, that's kind of what he did for a while. So he just got really good at that. And I think a lot of that came from a couple of, a couple of reasons. Firstly, he spent a lot of time at sea, obviously, and that meant chess was one of the games that you would play out there. And also my brother is also a really mean chess player, a really good chess player, both of them. So a big part of my background in my youth, my brother is a lot older than me. They would both be playing chess against each other. My dad and my dad is a fairly formidable, intelligent chess player. My brother, the kind of, you know, the apprentice. Um, And that's that formed a big part of chess in the background of my of my very young youth. We had a very posh chessboard in our lounge, which housed the game that my dad and brother would play when they were on opposite sides of the world in at sea. So they would relay the moves back using ship to shore communications. They would relay the moves to home. We would move the chess pieces to where they needed to be, and then that would be relayed to my brother via the other ship-to-shore radio. Bear in mind, at certain times of, the, of my life, my brother was in the off the coast of the Falkland Islands, and my dad was off the coast of Africa. So they would play these chess games over a long period of time. And the chess pieces were on this big marble set that we had, and if you moved them, even by a millimeter, you would be probably in a lot of trouble unless you were moving them as part of them. Now, really, it was my mum that kind of moved those pieces on their behalf when they were talking to them. So it was, it was strange that that's kind of my, my understanding of chess. It's almost fear-based because, you know, no one went near that marble chessboard. It was a big one as well. So I learned to observe chess, but never really, it never really, I never really took to it, never really enjoyed it. Like I said, my dad was a ridiculously good chess player that did know all those moves, all those opening, all those gambits, all that stuff. He knew all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, we, and he did try and teach me how to play at a more complex level. But the one thing I can tell you about trying to learn chess from someone who's an amazing player, sort of gifted with it is that they understand the game in such a fundamental way that it's very difficult for them to explain or express that to somebody that doesn't know and not get crazy frustrated with them. So, so I just want to sort mm-hmm. of set that scene because that's kind of my, my, sort of my experience of chess. Now, I'm just going to throw in some random chess facts as well because you know, chess is chess is chess, right? So mm-hmm. just a random chess fact for you. This is a true fact. There are over 318 billion different possible positions after four moves each. The number of distinct 40-move games in chess is far greater than the number of electrons in the observable universe. The number of electrons is approximately 10 to the power 79, where the number of unique chess games is 10 to the power 120. Wow, wow. imagine that. 
Anyway, That's a lot. for the record, for this particular review, I played both the disc and easy flash versions of this for the podcast. So Battle Chess is, no surprise, is a chess game. Here the pieces are animated, so they fight it out with one another um, when one piece is taking the other or when they're moving to their appropriate squares, hence the battle part. The basic rules of chess are thusly. Two opponents play against each other. One player is white and the other is black or red and blue in the C64 version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the object of the game is to put the opponent's king in checkmate. The king is the most important piece in the game. The two primary goals of your game will be to protect your king being checkmated and to put your opponent's king in checkmate. With the exception of castling, your king can only move from one square at a time in any direction. Under no circumstance may your king move onto check. The king is not to be heavily used in the, to any kind of attack. So what is checkmate? And I know that this is kind of teaching to suck eggs, but I just want us to set these early. So it's just in case there's anyone out there that thinks, what on earth are you talking about? Check and checkmate. When an opponent's piece threatens the king and that piece could capture the king in the next move, the king is said to be in check. There are three ways to escape this. The king may move out of the line of attack. Another piece may move and block the line of attack or the attacking piece may be captured. Remember that you can never move the king into check and this rule may be a factor in blocking the king's escape from check. If you cannot avoid check, the king is in checkmate, you have lost and the game is over. So that's kind of the nature of chess. There's a whole bunch of pieces in there, queen, rooks, Mm -hmm. knights, bishops, pawns, uh, and they formulate a mini army on the board and the idea is you've got to sort of play out some strategic scenarios to try and get your opponent's king into check or checkmate. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of how chess works. Now, before I go on, here's another little fact for you. Um, Kirk and Spock in Star Trek have played chess three times on the show in Star Trek. Um, Kirk won all three games. Did you know that? I did not. Did he Did he cheat like in the Kobayashi now? <laughs> he reprogrammed the simulation. He's yeah. playing Spock. I'm sure Spock would really have won it. I Spock let him Spock win. would win. Yeah. But Spock is part human, remember? And he hasn't undergone full Colin R. So there you go. Just <laughs> saying. I was reminding you of that. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some interesting <laughs> options to this. So the game has an okay loading screen. Um, and when the game starts, you're off kind of straight away, at least in the version I had. You can use mm. the function keys, though, for the options and drop-down menus, clearly showing it's 16-bit origins here. This came from the 16-bit to the 8-bit the yeah, machines. It's default, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got menus for disk, which is load, save, new game, setup board, which is used for testing strategies and stuff, and quit, which actually resets your C64. You've got move, which you can force a move, take back a move, replay, or get it to suggest a move if you want to do that. And force move, by the way, just forces the player, the computer player to just move. So it's like, just do it now. Stop thinking about it, which is quite, you know, if you want to poke it a bit. Um, You've also got settings, which is sound on and off, walk on and off, so you can turn off the walking between squares, which is, I'll come to why that might be a useful thing, and combat on and off as well. And you can have a 3D, 2D board view. You can change the relative colors, so you can be the red or the blue, or the CPU can be red or blue, depending on how you want to do it. Um, and you can stage that. There's also a level as well, which is weirdly six levels of novice. Make of that what you will. Mm. This keyboard controls in here as well. It's all detailed in a fairly extensive manual. Or you can use the joysticks to select the player you wish to move and then the space you wish to move it to by pressing the fire button. And then, of course, the game will play out. You do your move. Your opponent does their move after a little bit of thinking time with a little icon of the thinker that appears. Not overly slow, not overly fast. It's chess, so... Now, in some instances, these moves between things can either be fast. In a, in a proper, some chess games, they have a little clock that they, yes. they hit, and you've got to do your move at a certain time. In yeah. other ones, you know, they can just sit there thinking. Hmm, tricky, <laughs> they might say. And working out all the permutations of those 10 to the power of 126. Exactly. Your chosen piece will then, depending on your settings, walk over and occupy the empty square or walk over and fight and kill the piece that occupies that space, depending on what you've chosen to do. It's battle chess. If you want the battles of chess... And they're done in kind of a quirky way as well. So they're quite fun animations such as they are. So, uh, you know, I think there's one where he stamps on his foot and he hops on his like, oh, ouch, and he can chop the knight's leg off and it's a bit Monty Python and that kind of stuff. There's a bit mm-hmm. of a humor, quirky humor in there. 
The view is 3D from the back of the board and from a slightly elevated position. So you see the backs of one army and the fronts of the other elevated so that pieces and the positions you can see and see the whole board, which is okay view, same as the Amiga one, albeit the colors aren't quite as nice. Um, the 2D view is actually more of the standard top view of chess that you would normally see in like, this, I guess it's the probably the most popular view of chess other than playing it on a board, which is kind of flat 2D. Although here it's kind of medium res. So it has a fuzzy quality to the graphics, which I don't think it lends itself to a nice visual. This would have been better in high res at this stage, I think, in, in that view only. Would have just been, and it would have been easier to implement, I think. I don't quite know why they have this weird red and blue color scheme. And the red and blue color scheme is quite jarring on the eye after a while as well. Anyway, the graphics kind of look the part in the 3D version, but they're fuzzy. And the colors, the reds and the blues, I think are a bit off-putting after a while. This probably would have worked better with a better color scheme and a bit more thought behind it. Um, the walking and the fight animations are ploddy though and slow. And although the chess is not known chess is not known for its frantic pace, this combined with some aggressive loading on the C64 disc version adds up to a very sluggish experience overall. That said, they've injected humor, like I said, so even the slowly animations have a little bit of fun in there, but they are slow. It does drag the game a bit. Now, it seems odd to say that, because I get it, chess isn't a race. It's necessary, unless you're playing the you know, speed chess. But it's not a race in this instance. But those walking and animations slow down the one part of the game that isn't slow, which is the moving of the pieces bit. That's mm-hmm. the bit that's quite fast. So if you're slowing that down as well, the whole thing just feels like it's just more pedestrian than it probably should have been. Mm-hmm. The sounds are very perfunctory. So, I mean, what else are they going to be? But the kind of clanks, clonks, blinks and blonks. There's nothing ma- amazing or exciting in there. Um, we'll come back to a game that has similar sound effects trains a bit later. Um, but on the whole, there's some interesting elements to this. Uh, it's chess. I mean, I think, the th- I think the important thing to appreciate with this is how complex a game chess must be to actually program into anything. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Even though the computer is thinking, it isn't actually doing that, is it? It's just computing permutations based on possible moves based on what you have chosen. So like all AI, it's an illusion, but it does give you a decent game of chess. Now, I have to say, I'm not a good chess player, so it gave me a good game of chess, you know, and I'm not into it. A seasoned chess player would probably get some something out of this. I think this is actually pitched at the novice player. It, its levels are described as novice, and I think this is for people that are interested in chess and want to learn how to play it. The reason I say that is because that seems to be where the difficulty is pitched. Players like my dad would have just smashed this game to pieces and just annihilated it. Um because that any chess game like that, my dad annihilated him. Whether it was a, that we had this little mini early computer chess, and he just he just destroyed it. It never it never beat him ever. <laughs> so um, now just a quick a quick another fact: the word checkmate, in case you wondered, uh, in chess comes from the Persian phrase shamat, which means the king is dead. I just thought I'd throw that in there. So uh, and if I <laughs> might as well put some chess facts in there. Might on a well. final note, then the option to set up the board. Now, I'll come, I, went, I wanted to come back to this because there's an option when you go to the first view of disc. You can say set up board, and that actually presents you with a 2D view where you can actually set up the pieces in scenarios to test play types and test openings and things like that. So you can learn chess through this. Now, that was what makes me think that this game is for learning chess and for learning how to play and for practicing. So I think in that respect, this is probably quite a good. If you're wanting to get into chess, and there wasn't many options around at this time on the C64, this isn't a bad in, albeit that it is a bit slow and stuff. But if you put it in the 2D view, switched off the animations, and just wanted to learn and play out some scenarios, you know, for all the wannabe Gary Kasparovs or Judith Polgars out there, um, you know, there's something there for you. This is probably a good little training aid for learning how to do chess and then going off and playing it for real with a real human. But it is expensive for what it is, and the loading is painful. It seems to load after pretty much everything on the disc version. This, the Easy Flash version, obviously, is different matter. But mm. if your chest is your thing and you want some chest-based fun, albeit slow, with bits of quirky animations, 
This is going to be for you, isn't it? Anyone else? I don't know. Like I said at the start, I played the Amiga version of this mod on the C64. Not well, though, but just more. <laughs> um, and that did have some really nice graphics in the characters and animations. They're still a bit slow, as I recall, though. It's got 85% in zap, a tad high, I think, considering the cost and the speed of the loading. But it's a decent chess game for nice op- with some nice options, ad- optional extras, and some, config- and some configuration options for those that like chess and want to play it. I imagine that's a good thing. Everyone else probably going to stay away from it, aren't they? Um, and there might be other versions of chess out on the C64. I don't think we've ever come across one so far. I think this is the first chess game we've played. I think it so, might be. I can't remember. So. Anyway, I, I, you, you can't hate chess, can you? you know, it's, it's, it's one of the classic early game designs. It's an amazing game design when you think about it. Really crazy yeah, yeah. clever. A bit like Tetris. A bit like saying you don't like Tetris. You can't really say that, can you? So yeah. I, I like chess. I'm just not very good at it. I like this game. I'm not very good at it because I'm not very good at chess. But I imagine maybe a young youngster like your lad would probably find some something to play at this. He'd probably sit and have a good go at this if he likes chess and wants to, you know, practice a few mm. things. Did you like chess and this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this is an impressive chess sim that works if you get the cartridge version and turn off all the animations and put it in 2D. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I know that just makes it chess instead of battle chess. <laughs> yeah, but chess but, is you know, chess. But I'm, I'm, I'm one of those purists. I just want chess to be chess. Can't mm. fancy up chess. Don't fancy up chess. Chess is just chess. But I thought this was actually quite a good one. Mm. Um, I had some actually quite good games against compute with this. Um, tried it on all the levels. I thought the what I didn't notice much difference between the levels, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, but um, it beat me on a couple. I beat it on a couple. Um, I'm not a bad chess player. I did used to be a good chess player back at school. I was. Uh, I came second in a school championship where I was in Very year good. three, playing up against year four people. So I, I've, I've had the trophy somewhere. It's, it's long lost to the emissions of time. My son, as you said, he's really into chess at the moment. In fact, he's had to rearrange a weekend where I have him because he's going into a chess competition. There you go. See, told you. He basically just wants to go and beat people at chess, and he will, yeah, he will well, do. That's, he that's, will that's do. the reason, isn't it? That's the yeah. reason to go do it. <laughs> it is. I thought the representation board was okay. I think you're right. The colours are a bit odd. I don't know why it's just not yeah. black and white. Blue and, yeah, blue and white. red. It's a bit, I just found it a bitty and a bit, it's the way they've got like, they've got like a sort of, um, cross hatching, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, Cro- yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, which it's is just, weird. Just solid. Just put solid colors on. Yeah, don't know yeah. why. Bit hard on there. The Amiga version is not like that at all. It's solid. So, um, and, and the animations are fun and entertaining for the first couple of moves, but you will just turn them off because they just get in the way if you just want to play chess. So, and I think he's got a quite a decent chess brain underneath it for what it can have on the C64, I guess, when it's trying to work yeah. all those things out. Could it have done with some music or something? So, it's something, it's a bit dull. It's, it's chess, I guess, but if you're playing on your own, uh, it's a bit on the quiet side. I just put some halts to planets on while playing it. Yeah, yeah. So, you can make it what you want, make it your own, can't you? So, I put some halts to planets it's on and a nice cultured hour of chess which was quite nice i was listening to uh mars the bring of war or whatever and so stuff like that and jupiter and everything like that price it's pricey maybe price but it's disc only and disc only games disc games are always 15 quid aren't they yeah disc versions are always 15 quid so it's not unusually pricey for a disc-based game that is the standard disc price but i I can see i mean if it's accessing the disc all the time this would never work on tape clearly so god knows what it's doing but i don't know why it needs to access the disc all the time don't i don't fully understand it i don't think there's that much in there maybe there is i don't know but it's you know good decent version of chess uh but you know it's classic it's chess isn't it like you said it's classic you can't mess with chess and this is a good one player it offers a good decent one player version of it nice work this when you strip it down <laughs> and put the easy flash yeah. version but the disc version is even in two player mode it's sorry even in 2d mode it's still slow yeah i mean the trick i read on one of the lemon reviews was to just up the warp on vice that's probably a good idea actually yeah i didn't think of doing that I should have done yeah and then it just becomes chess i did like the control system as well because when you picked a piece you couldn't make an illegal move so you could learn the moves yes um, 
So, like, you pick the knight, and obviously the knight is usually the one that kerfuffles people. It makes people like, A, two and one, two and one, you know, it goes two and one, mm-hmm. something. But it's like, well, you can only, it shows you, you can only move it here because it highlights, you know, it's black or red yeah, if yeah. it's illegal. So you get to understand it. So I quite like that. It won't let you make illegal moves. So you can learn the the, the, the um yeah. the movement piece. I thought that was quite a good touch. There is a very extensive manual for this as well. Yeah, so it's not just like a manual that sort of because it not doesn't just give the basics of chess. It also teaches you how to understand the chessboard and how to understand the the way that chess is described to. The queen's pieces are on the left side of them. The king's pieces on the yeah. right. So kings to queens to thing to that. It explains all of that and the notation of where they are on the board. Now I'd never come across that again. If you're not into chess and you don't play it you're never going to come across this terminology but thanks to chess.com i was able to uh to navigate some of those things and find out some of that information and of course the manual which is very 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 well described it has to be said yeah yeah it's good get you get you get a decent chess game if you're looking for a chess game in 1989 if you're commodore 64 and you had a disc drive this would probably That's be what right. i said i don't remember there being another one i can't remember there must be there must There's be colossus chess i think isn't there colossus chess is uh, one is, I is that on the 64 uh, I think so. Let me just search for the word chess on lemon. See what we get. Yeah, Battle chess, chess, chess 7.0, the chess, chess master, chess, Colossus chess 2, 4. There's yeah, a few. There's, there's a few. There's Not a few. many, but there's a few. Yeah. And is Battle chess the first one out of that? No, I think there's been others before this. I think they had, they're probably just not reviewed in Zap. Maybe just didn't get a review yeah, or maybe. whatever. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But it's a good version. Anyway, there you go. Battle chess. Slow, but decent. There you go. Let's move on to our next one. It's over to you again, Graham, due to me being an idiot earlier on. But um, <laughs> and not noticing we should have battle chess. Long. <laughs> Just noticing we shouldn't have battle chess before the break. But hey ho, uh, Graham, <laughs> tell us all about well, Spitfire. All right, I will. This is from Encore. It's a budget oh, game. Oh no, this is it's a game that was never released. It probably say somewhere I read that. So this was never released originally. So it's a game that was never released, and now it's released on budget. Mm. So is this like that? What do that? Turbo Esprit, want that the mm. same? Yeah. My spine sense is tingling. So it was originally from Elite, of course, because it's an encore label one. The yeah. creator was Ron Jeffs, musician Mark Cooksey. Bit of an odd thing, this actually. Now, there's some things to like, some things to not. It's a quirky game, I guess you'd call it. Uh, the, so it's yeah. a side scrolling World War II Spitfire based shoot em up dogfight game. All right, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, and just to some clarity here, uh, the scenario is very short. You are the pilot of one of the most advanced airplanes ever made, the Spitfire. The Spitfire base is being attacked by the enemy in an attempt to destroy your force's supply of airplanes. Your mission is to destroy as many of their rocket installation camps as possible, while at the same time fighting off their air attack. Can you protect your base and fight off the air onslaughts without using all of your fuel into the bargain? Your service is counting on you, you, you. That's it. There you go. That's the blurb. Simple blurb. We like simple mm. blurbs for simple games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea then, it's, it's 1940, and your supermarine Spitfire base, or airfield as we like to call them, is under <laughs> attack from rocket attacks by the bloody enemy. Damn them. Damn them all. So they've launched these rockets, or they've got rockets, what they call flying bombs, um, at you, the blighters. Um, you've got to take to the skies in your trusty supermarine Spitfire with the single goal to find and shoot down the sky rockets, the rockets, the sky bombs, the flying bombs out of the sky before they destroy your bases, which are also your lives. Clever, that. Mm. As well as rockets, there are enemy ME-109s, Mesh Spitz 109s, Mesh, you know, and these are all airplanes that you'll have made by Airfix models if you're my age at a certain point in your life. You will have definitely made a Spitfire and you certainly will have, have certainly made the ME, the Messerschmitt 109. 
Um, or a Junkers, or the Junkers G52. They were very popular Earthix kits anyway. Mm-hmm. So they're zooming around taking shots at you. The cheek of that um, <sighs> while you're airborne. So show Jerry a lesson in the flying aces and send them to hell in the hail of bullets. I tell you, that's Grr. what to do. Exactly. What, what? You start the game with a stirring 1942 sounding soundtrack from Mark Cooksey. Sounds like the one he did for 1942 that they went, it's not quite getting what we want. So it's, they've used it here. Okay. <laughs> kind of works. Yeah, All right. That's what it is. Big, bold enough title screen, you know, great big logo on there. Spitfire, you can't miss it. Pressing fire button starts the game as you are otherwise indicated to do. Your view then shifts to the runway side view. At the bottom of the screen is your UI giving your miles per hour, fuel, ammo and altitude. Some dials and gauges will whiz around and what looks like a 1940s radio sits at the bottom with some instructions in a basic C64 font like take off and shoot stuff. Graphics here are quite nice, actually. A big Spitfire craft is lined up ready to take off and an engine noise crackles away ready for you to get going. Press fire and you will speed up and take off. Then it's to the joystick controls. Uh, Up is up, down is down. Right when facing right is spin aircraft. Left is turned around, opposite if you're facing left. You can zoom up and around and dive about, fire shoot your guns. You zip and fly about, getting shot at and shoot at things, trying to control this giant aeroplane. The perspective here fights you a little bit, and the yeah. size of the Spitfire works constantly against your eyes. It feels too big to get handle on controlling it properly, and the sounds, albeit that they're suitable, meow, and Spitfire-type sounds of engine sounds and drones of guns and you know, that, 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 that kind of thing. But you're really what you're doing in this is flying and looping and zooming and shooting, not basically not trying to hit the ground, which you will do, because it's very difficult to gauge how high you are when your aeroplane feels too big. <laughs> And there's no real idea of scaling. No idea of scaling. No, there is not. So many times I took a real big, what I thought was a heroic shoot into the sky. My engine stalled and just went smacking into the ground. I'm like, oh, but I've done better than that. You've got to try and shoot the ME109s down. They have no problems with any of this scaling at all. Track the rockets down. If you can find them, shoot them and shoot down the bases. You can press F7 to bring up a map, which shows you where these little hotspots are, where the bases are launching these flying bombs from. And that's where you've got to get to doesn't really help you other than how do you get there it's a 2d game we've had this problem before <laughs> yeah and exactly exactly similar thing because it doesn't show you on the map exactly it's a map i'll give you that but <laughs> it's of no use whatsoever so again these are it's also there's some stats on there as well which will when you bring up that map tells you how many spitfires you've got left how many flying bombs you've downed and how many me109s are still around and that's about it pretty basic as it goes but at least it's only two quid graphics are okay the planes are large which is good but it does leave you struggling to get a handle on that scale, which is a problem. The sounds are okay. Dogfights are a bit flitty, but otherwise not terrible. It has some good, simple gameplay for two quid, but nothing more. Don't expect massive amounts from this because there ain't massive amounts in it. <laughs> it scored 55%. I think that's probably about right, to be fair. It's not terrible, this. It's just not very compelling over time. Once you get past the first few things, it's just more of the same. Lots of green, lots of nice sky details, some occasional takeoffs a lot of crashing into the ground because you didn't, didn't realise you were that close to the ground. <laughs> yeah. And that's because the sky seems oddly low. But I don't know, maybe that's just me. Otherwise, I thought it was two quids worth of Spitfire fun. Could they have made it better? I don't know. This was clearly found in a cupboard and I thought, I'll just release that. So it is what it is, but at least it's only two quid. So you might get two quids worth of fun on it. A rainy afternoon on a Sunday might just be a couple of quids worth of entertainment out of that, but no more than that. What about you? Oh, the noise. The noise. <laughs> Did my head in. Was that making it stop? Spitfires are really, really loud as well. Because well, this is. I've been to a few like real live flybys of Spitfires yeah. when they go overhead and they're really loud. Really yeah. loud. But they're amazing because you, you don't seem to really hear them until they're really on you and then there's this enormously loud engine sound. They're amazing aircraft spitfires. They are yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing, amazing British designs. What ho! <laughs> it's another this is another overly large early version of Luft We said this about another game. 
Yeah, I have no idea what Luftbrasers is, but I'll take your word for it. It's a, it's a, it's a classic indie game from the last few years. It's a modern version of Spitfire. <laughs> it's basically this, but you're a smaller plane and it's way more action-based. So yeah. it's, it's essentially this. Yeah. So this sees us flying a massive Spitfire against enemy planes, trying to shoot ground targets we cannot see until we're on them, and generally tend to crash into the ground. That was my experience yeah. with this. Yeah. If you want us to shoot stuff on the ground, send a bomber. <laughs> yeah. Not a yeah. Spitfire. That was my idea. I was thinking... So during the war, we used to send bombers when we wanted to sort of destroy land tar- you know, land targets, which accompanied by In fact, we had that game the other week, didn't we, where we were protecting a bomber. I can't remember what that was. That was another Elite one, wasn't it? It was another re-release, uh, Encore yeah, re-release. Was. So you were flying in your 3D one. I can't remember what it's called now, but you were. that was that anyway. So this doesn't make much sense to me. So yeah, everything's too close. You can't see anything. And above all that, it's dull. <laughs> Adult, it's just with not enough going on. I just kept flying and just shooting. Yeah. And zooming around, flying I, about. I, didn't bother, I just thought, how far can I go? How far can I go? <laughs> so the the Messerschmitts or whatever they were, the, they used to come, they just flew past me and I'd shoot them and they'd blow up. I just kept going and I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it's also got a map. There's things flashing on it. I don't know why, because it's a 3D map of the of Europe, and this is a 2D game, and there's no indication where you are or the ability to travel in a different direction. So what's the point of the map? We saw that in the other um, <laughs> Luft browsers type game as well. It was that weird one set in the, uh, was it Bay of Hormuz or something? Hormuz action. Yeah, yeah. Or it was the uh, Operation Hormuz, yeah. Oh, Operation Hormuz. That's the same thing. This is the same game. Yeah, simply, the, yeah. It, it, you know, flying left to right, shooting stuff with a 3D map, which we complained about at the time. Going, it's stupid. We did. Um, so I don't go to it. My comment on this is it's not quite shit fire, but it's a pain in the ass and the ears to play. <laughs> shit fire. Why am I laughing at that? It's, a, it, it's not quite shit fire, but yeah, okay. No, I'm, I'm being honest. It's not quite shit fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going, it's not that far. Yeah, it's, 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 it's about, it's 50% <laughs> okay. It's about right the review in it, to be fair to them, for once. Yeah, it's, it's perfectly average. It, yeah, as a two quid game, I think you might get some enjoyment of this, but you, you know, you, but I, you know, the actual plane graphics are quite nice and flipping around, they're zooming about. There's a nice view when it spins around, the animation's quite nice. And as you zoom up and you turn your plane, those are quite nice views. Those are quite nice views, but they're completely and utterly um, illogical. Not illog- what's the word I'm looking for? Impractical in the context yeah. of trying to play this game. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it's it's three D three D on a two D plane, and when you've got to see the ground, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> and the work. ground is the ground just goes. Uh, I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not there. Here I am. Boom. You're dead. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I got the feeling that that version of the Spitfire was about eight miles long because they. <laughs> It's just like, you know, yeah. no wonder it hit the ground. It was massive. It was like the size of a, it was an Airbus. So it says there's an altimeter, but I couldn't make heads and tail of it. I didn't know how. No. It's just a round dial. Where's the floor? It made no sense whatsoever, <laughs> did it? Just show me the bloody ground on it. Yeah, exactly it's a, that. It's yeah. something that goes round. Oh, this you don't, for two quid, you don't get altimeters, not working ones. No functioning <laughs> gauges of any ones. kind on a, on a two quid game, no. <laughs> no. You don't. You don't get much here, perhaps some fancy animation tech. Oh, dear. <laughs> Here we go. Spitfire was all right, I guess, for two quid. Let's move on. We've still got two games to get through. And this one, well, this is a, we're back to full price. This is another deport. It's another deport from the Amiga. Another one we've seen. This is Kickoff from mm. Anko. I didn't even know there was a version of Kickoff for the C64. I did. I have to say. 
I did not. Uh, I remember I was why complete... I hated it when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I was taken aback. I was like, oh, kickoff. They did a version of kickoff for the CC4. I never knew that. So I was expecting, mm. I was expecting something similar to the Amiga version. We'll we'll get to you know we'll get to these <laughs> things. It's kickoff from Anko, the original, the original, you know, famously programmed and created by Dino Dini, who did, right. did kickoff, Giga Two, you know, uh, classic games on the on the uh, Amiga. Sort of, you know, before we had sensible soccer, there was kickoff. Just before, yeah, yeah. So this was the the first one, wasn't it? Sort of thing. We have John Mitchell on code. So here in the eight bit world on the C sixty four, we've got John Mitchell on coding duties, and it seems he did all three of the conversions to Amstrad Spectrum and the C sixty four. So we did all the eight bit versions. Now, like I said, I remember the Amiga version being quite a big deal at the time. My friends, we've kind of who had Amigas at the time were sort of raving about it, going, oh, this is amazing. It's the best football game ever, blah, 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 blah. Because of, you know, fast and responsive gameplay, pitch, wealth of options and presentations off the pitch. It was a, it was a real, you know, oh, this is quite impressive. But it did actually show, a, you know, it was one of the times, one of the first games I thought, there was others as well, but I thought this really hammered home the upgrade in the home machines at the time. We'd seen games that kind of did it, but this, I think, the speed and the resolution and the, and the pace of everything, it felt this can't be done in the eight on an eight bit machine. You know, MicroPro Soccer was probably yeah, the best yeah. we get. This was something else. Um, so I never saw it as a C64 version. I never saw it. So now I had the time to play it. And well, let's get into it. There's a decent loading screen here. It's a cover of the game. It's an Argentinian player sliding in on a, what I think is a Spanish player. Going by the kits. Okay. But there you go. Um, it's decent enough, I guess. It's a decent enough loading screen. It's all right. And the game loads, you get a very simple presentation style. Nice font. It's kind of that liney font. I don't know what you call it. What do yeah. you call it? Um, liney. Liney. Liney font. Um, so it's got gaps um, and it's double height. So it's nice. But we'll, you pick a language. Um, I picked English, obviously, um, for, the, uh, for the game. And we get to the options. It's very blue and white and black. It is. It's very blue and white and black. It has a theme and it sticks to it, which is all right, I guess. But it's simple and functional and it's easy to navigate with a joystick and fire button. That I did like. So you can move up and down mm. and buy it and select. It's easy yeah. to know it on. Unlike that four soccer simulator thing. If you remember that and the controls for that moving through the oh, yeah. where, where right moved you down all the time. Yeah, you can get all the way through all those options till you get to the game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say something good. <laughs> um, we can <laughs> practice our... So, so here we've got some options, like I said. Um, we can practice our skills. We can go up or down the pitch, which is an odd phrasing, <laughs> which I'll come to in a bit. Mm. We can practice saving penalties. We can play a single game. We can play an eight-team international league or set the game length from two halves of 5, 10, 20, 30, or 45-minute halves. You really want to do that. The league mode that you can play puts the teams Holland, Brazil, France, Germany, Russia, Italy, Argentina, and England in a table together, and you pick basically pick what you want to do. For in that league, we can opt which teams you want as human players. So we can have eight humans if you had eight people around all played against each other. Or you can just have one and have a game on your own. Um, it's up to you. So once you're done in the league, you hit continue. We get the results of the computer versus computer games. So this is just before we get to the game, and I'll describe that in a bit. We get to play the ones with a human player. So when you start to play the game, you get a toss of the coin when you get to play it, um, and, decide, and you get to decide if you win, which way you'll be playing. It still says up or down. I'm going to come to why that's uh, problematic in a moment. <laughs> and then it's on to the game. Um, and then so yeah, I'll, I'll describe the game from the practice mode in a minute, so it's a single-player mode. Once all the results are done, you continue, save the league, and come back to it later and load it in. That's the league. So you've got a league. So it does have a league mode. That's quite good. When you select a single game, you can play one or two players. For each player, you get to, so there's extra options here for each player. You get to choose the quality of their team, so the difficulty level. So you can set handicaps, basically, from international, national, 
reserve youth or Sunday league. So essentially, it's like I said, it allows you to handicap the teams for players of different abilities, gives you a way to provide a challenge if you want to take on an international team against, you know, with a Sunday league team. If you get really good at the game, you put your level at Sunday league and the international is going to give you a good game. I use that term loosely. You get to also get to pick the formation from 424, 442, 433, and finally 5-3-2. Loads of formations to choose from. Onto the coin toss and you get to into the game. And it's about now that you might make something as a surprise sound, like going, ah, oh, don't want to expect in that. It was asking me if I wanted it to go up or down because you see that the vertically scrolling pitch of every version by the Atari 8-bit version, and I'm talking the other 8-bit versions as well, so the Spectrum and Amstrad, has now been changed to a horizontal scrolling pitch seen from above. <laughs> weird. And, well, yeah, it just feels a bit weird. <laughs> it's yep, just a bit kidding. odd. Uh, have we seen this before in any football I game? Don't this think, viewpoint? I don't think we have. Not side view is normally side view. Yeah, <laughs> scrolling left to right is usually international soccer style. Five side yeah. soccer, Emily Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Top makes down sense. is usually yeah. vertical scrolling. Micro soccer. Is, yeah. That superstar soccer one we saw, all those yeah. kind of ones. Yeah. Top yeah. down left to right, though, is a combo of not, you know, this. Okay. All right. Most of the screen is taken up by the pitch. Um, and I say the pit is, pitch is about. Four screens wide by about three screens high, I guess. Something like that, maybe two screens high. At the bottom of the screen is the UI in a big pink bar with grey lettering, which (laughs) is not the best choice of colours. And this shows the score in the bottom left in a massive font, the time in the middle in a small font, and the number of the player you are controlling and a graphic of the player in the bottom right in a big font. I don't know why the font's different. I don't know why the size are all different. I'd say, you know, having the timer in a decent-sized font would have been important, but what do I know? The pitch is made up of strips of light and dark green, sort of vertical vertical strips of light and dark green, and all the markings are there we want. for, for di- We've even got proper nets as well, something we never saw in that Roy the Rovers game, which I always like to think about with true. Them nets. <laughs> the players are okay, I guess, sprite-wise. They're not terrible. I've seen We've seen worse. They're seen yeah. from the top. The shirts are easy to make out, and the one you're controlling is flashing to let you know. Controls are eight-way directions for run around, and if you're not in possession, then fire button will make your player do a slide tackle. If you do have the ball, well, I'm just going to read from the instructions here because... I, I, you know, this, <laughs> this says it's quite simple. Kickoff ball controls have been spe- specially designed for ease of use. In a fast-moving game and under pressure, there is no time to remember the complicated stick movements. The action <laughs> has to be instinctive. You're advised to learn the controls by using the practice skills option in the main menu. Your options are dribble the ball. The ball travels in front of the player. The distance it travels depends on the speed of the player when it makes contact with the ball. This is a digital game. <laughs> you don't have a different speed that I was aware no, you of. Don't. No, I didn't notice any. Shoot ball. Press fire button. After touching the ball, shoot the ball in the direction the player is facing. That's the only way you can kick it. Correct. Stop ball. Press fire button before touching the ball, and this will stop the ball and give you total control. Pass ball. You must stop the ball before you can pass it. Keep the fire button pressed and move the joystick in the direction you wish to pass and release the fire button. Remember, this is instinctive and it's quick. I don't know what they're on about. Releasing the fire <laughs> button when joystick is centered and the ball is stationary takes you back into dribble action. The player will right. turn in the joystick direction and start dribbling the ball in that direction. And if fire button is pressed again, shoot in that direction. The ball will remain stationary as long as joystick remains centered. Uh... <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> my, sorry, my alarm just went off. <laughs> my gibberish alarm. Gibberish. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can chip ball, reverse the direction of the joystick on making contact with the ball, which uh, uh, do you have to press the fire button? 
these do not seem instinctive. That's they're all that's all straight from the manual. They yeah. do not seem instinctive to me. A stopping and pointing where you want to pass seems at odds with the fact this game is fast paced and you will always generally have a player chasing you and they'll just take the ball off you if you stop. Yeah. And also you then have to take into consideration turning it and then dribbling and then stopping, but the ball will remain stationary. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's also the issue that you only have one power of pass or shot when moving, which robs a game of quite a lot of tactical play. You can't do short passes or long passes, just hoofs. Yeah. Just hoofs up and down the pitch. There's no option to curve the ball or anything like that, so everything feels very old-fashioned at this point. After games like MicroPro Soccer uh, or Emily Hughes, which had its multiple control methods, the way you could tap it left and right and do little shimmies and all that kind of stuff. But the biggest bugbear for me is the problem I had with the Amiga game, Um, and that is I don't like the fact the ball is not properly under my control when running with it. And turning Mm. with it will often see me just run away from the ball. I see that loads in proper football, you know, running, dribbling with the ball, and the player just turns and runs off. (laughs) <laughs> let's the ball go away from them. <laughs> it just happens all the time. It's the big problem I had with um, all the Amiga. These games, I don't like that control method. I want the ball mm. to stick to me. I'm in control. It's just stupid. I never did. I never yeah. liked it in any football game ever. It might have worked on the Amiga with its greater speed, but I remember. I remember in the Amiga game, sort of thing. I just want to. I'd like want to go at a diagonal, and I'd, the ball would go straight, and I'd just run off in a different direction. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? It just do not work. And this has always been a problem yeah. I've had. Like I said, these games no different here. I cannot imagine a time in a football match, and I played a lot of real football in my life where you would just run away and forget to bring the ball with you when you're dribbling with it. It just don't happen. <laughs> No. If you had the option to ping it out in front of you, get a speed boost here, then that may be something. So you could tap the fire button and it would sort of put it out of you. But it doesn't because you've only got one option to boot it miles ahead of you. And there's no real difference in the speed when you have the ball or not. So nothing that I could discern. So it renders this really unpleasant to play. There's something in the instructions about the different stats that sit behind the players at the different levels, but I never really saw much evidence of this playing at different levels. Um, everyone just seems to be running about as headless chickens and just getting the ball and booting it and just getting in your way and sliding. It's just, uh, it just gets stupidly perfect. And at higher levels, as ever with these games, it just gets stupidly perfect and never makes a mistake and just takes it off you and does whatever. But I don't know. I was interested to see this because I never. I thought kickoff yeah. on the 64. All right. But I'm playing this. I found it a frustrating and rather dull football game that pales in comparison to the genre leaders by this point. It's a boring mm. nil-nil draw on a rainy Saturday afternoon in November watching Grimsby play Scunthorpe for me. That's what the, <laughs> that's what playing this was like. And that's not yeah. a good thing for anyone wondering whether that's quite interesting. It's just not very good. I don't understand why they've thought, yeah, we'll release this. It's it's going on the name, the Amiga name, which had a bit of a you know, bit of kudos, and everyone was like, Oh, this is one of the you know best football games around. And it's been downported to the C64. And for some reason, someone's turned it 90 degrees for, well, John, whatever his name is, who programmed it. For yep. some reason, which he doesn't do on the Amiga, and he doesn't, mm. sorry, doesn't do on the Amstrad, he doesn't do on the Spectrum. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't understand it. And the controls are rubbish. So this is a bad football game. Not, yep. not as bad as some we've seen. It's not like the original Match Day bad. It's not Five Aside bad. And it's not some of those games we've seen. It's not Four Soccer Simulator bad. But it got, what did it get? 37%. That's about right. Which is a shame. Aye. It should have been better, but it's not. What did you think? Ah, what did I think <laughs> to this? I mean, I I I, I played um, kickoff quite a bit on the Amiga. Obviously, the C sixty four version was known for being rubbish, um, and kickoff on the Amiga was known for having some problems. The problems being that the two player game was great, but play against the CPU and you was destined to be beaten because it was so rock hard and got harder and harder and harder. See, the C sixty four one inherited that. 
Why are they shifted the direction from left to right? No idea. It just feel it makes the whole game feel weird and off. The controls yeah. are dead weird. Doesn't play right just because of the view and everything else. It's it's quite disconcerting. The benchmark for this type of game has already been done on the C64 with Mac Pro Soccer. So I don't get why they did this at all, mm-hmm. and I certainly don't get why they did this when you see what kickoff looked like on the Amiga. The Amiga version was famous though, like I said, for being too hard. And so was Kickoff 2. And then Sensible Soccer came along anyway and kind of just you know, squashed everything else. And that was kind of it for football games on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. C60 version of this lacks the essential speed and fun of the other versions, leaving it an expensive at 995 waste of money. Kickoff was superseded by Sensible Soccer on the Amiga. And the C64 version of that was already out and had already set the standard with Micro Soccer. So this is just a shocking, also ran in the wrong direction. You couldn't have got it more wrong. I don't quite why. Maybe they just did it because they had to and because nobody really gave a crap about the C64 version of this anyway because the Amiga version was out by now and it was already setting a few people's ideas on fire. We played a lot of kickoff back in the day on the Amiga, um, but we played more sensible soccer, world of sensible actually, when yeah, it came did. along. Yeah. So kickoff is a great game on the Amiga on 16-bit, but this version's just a horrible thing. So no, 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 rubbish. And at 10 quid, get lost. No, play Micro Soccer instead. Yeah, Way exactly. Better. Yeah, absolutely. If you want that top-down view, yeah. If you want something else, Emily Hughes. The two, the two, the yeah. two genre genre leaders. It's just, you know, that's that. Yeah. Oh, kickoff can go away. It's not very good. Let's move along. We still have one game left. It's another biggie. It ends the year. Is it any good, though? <laughs> Graham, tell us all about myth. What a, it's a bit of a whopper, isn't it, myth? Myth, it's a biggie. But I'd leave it for the end. It's- Published by System 3, um, mm. produced by Mark Kale and Jonathan Dean. Don't we just know it's a Mark Kale game? Coded by <laughs> Peter Barron. Graphics are by Bob Stevenson. Title screen, Bob Stevenson. The music, Jerome Tell. Box art, Les Edwards. This has got a credit list, hasn't it? A good credit mm-hmm. list. You know, they're famously good at doing stuff. And it's another epic style System 3 release, isn't it, for the C64? They've developed by now quite a strong name in game production. Last Ninja series, Tusker. The IK series, Bangkok Nights, Dominator, and now this, Myth, History in the Mm. Making. Crazy. This is the brainchild of Mark Kale. Sees you playing as a character called Everyday Lad on a quest to battle the evil god Dameron through four fantasy time eras, Greek legends, Norse legends, Egyptian legends, and the final confrontation (laughs) with Dameron. (laughs) So you control your lad through a series of challenges in each level with puzzles to unlock and items to find as you run, jump, and fight your way around. There is a manual for this. Oh, there is. There is there is. not always a manual for this? There's a manual. Now, I'm going to skip the myth introduction because that's just a lot of self-gratifying <laughs> asshole. Um, you know, with an established insight into the game player's needs, we aim to bring the blah, 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 blah with our new game myth, blah, blah, atmospheric platform adventure, blah, blah, mythological eras, blah, 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 whatever. What I want to focus on is the story because, well, quite frankly, we need to go through this. We need to go through it with a tooth comb because... There's a certain part of the whole idea of this game that hinges upon something, and we need to go through it. So the myth story is this, and it does say before this, we hope you get as much enjoyment from playing this exciting new product as we had in creating it. We'll see about that. Anyway, um, so the myth story then. Magical tales of intrigue and mystery were spawned thousands of years ago as the world's civilizations believed that mythological gods and demons carved out the way of the world. Did they? They were said Mm. to have dealt their own hand in the epic game of life and ruled their dominions with cast iron law. Uh, We're mixing our metaphors badly already. And powerful (laughs) sorcery, not known to mere mortals, the subsequent fear of which enabled the gods to mould their own world. Uh, Like an elaborate game of chess. Uh, 
and preordain <laughs> the fate and destiny of their minions. Someone's been watching Clash of the Titans. Yes. Haven't they? Anyway, we'll come back to that. A combination of ruling bodies kept the world in balance and laid the foundations of our history. Okay, deep breaths, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Only a mortal can attempt to change the eras of time. Feel free at any point to go, A. <laughs> Do I need to? <laughs> <laughs> so, Adrian, an everyday lad lounges at his oh, desk. This, 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 I read this. I was like, oh my God. It's some of the worst writing. It's the, uh, it's, uh, it made me... I made my hackles go up. We have to go through it. I'm sorry, but we have to. <laughs> oh. An everyday lad lounges at his desk. It could be you, Adrian. It could be it me. It could be. Fully submerged in an article he reads aloud in his complex mind <laughs> about Medusa. It's horrible. <laughs> the terrifying snakes that entwine her scalp and the shivering coldness of her black-eyed stare as she turns courageous men to solid stone. The lad seems arrogantly amused. Arrogantly <laughs> amused? Can someone be arrogantly amused? Oh my God. I wanted to get my red pen out. Adrian, you're just being, you're very arrogantly amused right now. I'm very arrogantly angry. The lad seemed arrogantly amused with what he reads and curls his upper lip in an aggrieved sneer, <laughs> signaling his resentment at the brash, uninformed way in which his favorite daydreams had been handled. Uh! <laughs> Okay, deep breath. <laughs> so deep breath, everyone. It's deep terrible. Breath. This guy's a jerk. Rolls off his silver tongue oh, that as bit. he hurls. Uh, <laughs> I think I might have stopped reading at that bit because I, I was. I was actually. I had to walk away from the computer. I was like, "This is what is this garbage?" I went and read some Dan Brown as a for some higher quality. Anyway, this guy's a jerk. Rolls off his silver tongue as he hurls the trash magazine into an overused bin. Well, how can a bin be overused? <laughs> It has one task. If it's if it's a full bin, then say it's a full bin. Overused means this bin's been used too much. You've been putting too much rubbish in it. Adrian, it says <laughs> the next line is, it seems near bursting with a hive of knowledgeable mythological drawings. <laughs> screwed full, up. Not overused. Screwed up and scribbled out that weren't quite good enough or didn't depict how a certain fable was meant to annihilate all who did challenge it or who didn't respect its vital role in the strategic game of life and history. Wow. What okay. gibberish. Wow. He would spend hours thumbing through books and sketching the theories, oh God, as he understood them, believing that mythology was for real, believing everything was there for a reason, believing that titanic gods watched his every move and even played some of them for him so as to ensure that foreseen destiny would indeed take its course. At this moment in time, the cocaine was kicking in, wasn't it? <laughs> really was going for it. Oh, I can't. I can't. Okay. This guy was hooked. And now I'm not sure why we've shifted tenses or who we're talking about, but somehow <laughs> we've suddenly shifted. Anyway, this guy was hooked. At times he wore blinkers to everyday life or upset school teachers with his hankering on about myths and how they were the only history any of us need learn if we were to ensure the future turns of the world were in the right direction. Uh, myths hankering on myths aren't real myths uh, uh. okay right right <laughs> steal yourself adrian for the next section gets worse oh god maybe he seemed a little confused strange to some teachers but everyone warmed to him <laughs> he wore the right trainers the right jeans he hung out with the right guys danced to the right music <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he's all right. He dances to the right music. 
<laughs> his cockiness and arrogance was a lure to all the best girls in the school and his contempt for those who wouldn't listen to him shielded him and gave him a bigger following than the school football captain. Hey, <laughs> feel free. I said at any point. <laughs> what is this? Not- this guy was happening, a hero to the younger kids, a thorn in the side of his history teachers and a real worry to his parents. <laughs> I think this this is a some kind of like cry for help. I think this is the person who it's written about the person who wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, everyone loves me and my my, my love for <laughs> my love for ancient Greek myths uh, and a real worry to his parents who had seen his obsession grow from a passing interest to the only supporting crutch his life seemed to be leaning on. The obsession wooed him to sleep at night and led him through everyday life with hypnotic effect. He couldn't wait to get home and lose himself in mythological literature to draw his favourite characters and to dream of long-fought battles through time itself. Sorry, there's more. If only he knew. Word of his undying loyalty to mythology had not only spanned the length and breadth of the school playing fields and formed major points of discussion over school dinners, but had astonishingly penetrated the heavens. The last remaining good titans had been casting a hopeful net over our planet for some time. A global search that had them clamouring for a mortal with character, cunning, and most of all, belief. These great universal dictators had swallowed their pride and had finally succumbed to the fact that their means of rulership, 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 my eyes twitching, was now rapidly becoming a laughing stock. <laughs> Strong, steadfast beings who aggressively ruled the heavens, the seas, the lands were now in a state of panic. The evil god Dameron had become a self-appointed leader, turning the skies black with rage and the seas red with blood. (laughs) Red with the blood of many a god who dared to question his tyranny. Bloodbaths arose in the heavens. Death was meeting those who refused to control their part of history in his way. And the once seemingly solid temple of this history was now being severely rocked to its very foundations. What the f*** are you on about? (laughs) Say it right now. I don't know. The law... Oh, God, here we go. The law stated that the great gods could not interfere directly with the destiny of modern history, but that the world's future lay with its past, and therefore by changing the past, Dameron will conquer the future and forever destroy mortal life. What the actual hell does that even mean? An encouraging fire... Now, this is weird. I don't know what this means, Adrian, but an encouraging fire engulfed the eras of time. An encouraging fire as they found who they were looking for and the discovery of a mortal with such a belief breathed tentative, if not premature, sighs of relief into the soul of our hopeful history. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking what are you, about? What are you talking about? What? 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 <laughs> and then the final piece now, the final bit. They were to visit him in his sleep and bargain with his morality, convince him that his relentless pursuit of mythology was to be rewarded by actually meeting the gods he dreamt of, by battling the demons he scribbled on pieces of old paper, by solving the life and death riddles of ancient leaders. He must confront the twisted powers of Dameron and struggle through all the cornerstones of time, putting right the evil god's wrongdoing and setting the wheels of our history in motion once again in the right direction. They were to take him through all the mythological eras of time, including Roman, Greek, <laughs> Norse, Viking, the Egyptian, Roman? Then onwards towards the greatest challenge, yeah, known me immortal. Yeah, <laughs> just shh, don't worry about that, forget that one. <laughs> then onwards towards the greatest challenge, known me immortal, except this one could ever begin to contemplate. The final confrontation with Dameron. The world's future is at stake and must be brought back to tranquil normality. He must remember his arrogance. He must have faith in the prophecies he tried to enforce upon others. He must what? believe that this is history in the making. At this point, I'm guessing that they've just come, they've given up making sense because this is complete and not a gibberish now, just stupid gibberish. They've created all of that to justify the fact that this has got four levels of different eras of time, I guess, or 
the fantasy. It's it's such a load of nonsensical junk-ridden gibberish that I had to go through it all because I think it's important that you do these things because until you go through it, because Myth Smith has got a really big um, reputation, the big reputation for being a System 3 mega game and all this stuff. But let me tell you something. That blurb of that game points to every problem you're going, we're going to go through in this game now, every single one of them, because it is complete and utter gibberish. You cannot yeah. make any sense of what that's about, what you're meant to do, what the point of it all is. You get the idea there's an enemy, there's some levels, and that you're some kind of kid. Yeah. And that's all you get from all of that gibberish, all that really comes down to. All the rest of it is just the most ridiculous hyperbole of all time. It is rubbish. Sorry, Mark, if you wrote that, but that is rubbish. Anyway, so let's just cut all that. Now We've done all that now. Mm-hmm. So as I said, this is the brainchild of Mark Kale. He's your playing as everyday lad, and we've gone through all the things you need to do. The game begins with a really nice tune from Jerome Tell. It is good. Can't argue with that. Suitable, epic sounding and fantasy like. It's nice. It's good. It's good music. It's a good, it's a good, good, tune, it's yeah, it's a good, it's yeah. good piece of music. Excellent graphics throughout this from Bob Stevenson. Some really lovely title screens, nice imagery, all the same. Mm -hmm. You get a bit of pointless speech from a female character that has no bearing or relevance in the game whatsoever, but that's always nice. Welcome to myth. Welcome to myth. (laughs) M-I-F-F, myth. (laughs) May as well have called it that. The game starts and, as I said, you will be presented with the game window. The top is the UI, which shows your score, current weapons, items, energy, and lives remaining. Nicely detailed, as are all the graphics. Looks nice. You can switch items with the left and right arrows on the keyboard or cursor keys, I guess. And the space bar selects them. If mm-hmm. you have them, if you have them, select them. You start in the Greek legend stage. Where the Roman stage is, is a mystery to all, to everyone. Don't know. Disappeared. So you start in the Greek legend, which is stage one, which in this instance is a version of Hades at this point in stage one, broken down into a series of platforms that you have to leap around. At the bottom and around, I guess, generally is fire, which you don't want to fall into, and you'll be confronted by skeletons that you will fight and will take your health away. And also little creatures, I don't know what you call those, goblins, I don't know, little demon things, that when killed will drop extra energy that you can collect. Something which happens throughout the game, by the way, so you'll come across different little mini characters that will drop these kind of discs and those are your health. Mm-hmm. As you jump and fist fight, the skeletons will eventually drop us some kind of fireball weapon and eventually a sword. So uh, so you get the fireball and then you eventually you'll get a sword as well. Yeah. And you'll hop around for a while and kill stuff. Then you'll see a skeleton hanging on the wall, which you need to figure out how to get past. Move around some more and you might even come across a chasm, which you can't jump across. Mm, what to do? Ultimately, with this level, there's a large scale creature to fight at the end. So you need the appropriate weapon. How do you get this? Well, it's not very obvious. That's the problem. You need the sword <laughs> to cut down the skeleton. Chop off a skeleton's head and ensure its skull bounces into the flames, which will summon some kind of demon that is holding a pitchfork. Fight and kill that with the fireballs, and it will drop a pitchfork, which you can use to kill the creature at the end of the level. Simple. It's obvious. Is that not obvious to you, Adrian? That's what you have to do? Of course it's not obvious. It's not obvious. Do that, and you're on to the next stage. Do that. I mean, I'm making that sound simple. Bear in mind that this is, you've got no clue what you're doing. You're just starting on platforms, jumping about, leaping about. And then, you know, anyway, I'll come back to a bit more about that in a bit. So, so. You're on to the next stage of this particular Greek legends level. Here you'll walk left to right fighting Greek warriors amongst some ruins, coming across a siren at a certain point that beckons you closer and you just got to ignore them. And that's how you beat that. Mm-hmm. Find a statue of Achilles, which you have to whack to get the shield. Because as we all know, if you whack Achilles heel, it makes a dink dink sound, which is the key thing you need to do to get a shield. I didn't know to do that. There's yeah, no yeah clue you, to well, you won't do. No clue to do it. But when you get the shield, because that's how you fight Medusa in the next level. If you don't do that, you can't progress. So you're no. just endlessly battling... Greek soldiers until such time as you're either bored or you accidentally go clink clank on Achilles's heel. And there's no clue for that. Again, another this is the main problem and a, run, a thread that runs right through all of this. So once you do that, you'll go to the next stage. It's where you have to enter the Temple of Medusa. And there you start hopping from platform to platform until you confront Medusa. 
who will be firing bolts of what is, I guess, lightning at you from her eyes, which is meant to be her terrible, terrible stare, which will turn you to stone. But you've got the shield, so you can just block that. Then you've got to eventually get close enough to her to chop her head off and then pick up her head because that's what you need to fight the next beast, which is a bit further along on the same level, which is the Hydra, which is a big monster with three heads, which you can then utilize Medusa's freezing stare to fire at it, which will then kill the various heads and eventually that'll die as well. And that's that you've done the Greek legends part. Mm-hmm. None of those things are obvious. None of those things are going to give you an idea of what we went to do. And you will lose loads of health trying to hop about and figure all of that out. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll say this. The graphics throughout all of this are excellent. And I think that's fair to say. They're really good graphics. Yes. The controls, mm-hmm. less so. I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me say at this point, Matt Keller's clearly watched Jason the Argonauts and Clash of the Titans. Because there is <laughs> loads of borrowed... I mean, granted, that's Greek myth. But they're borrowed specifically items in terms of the blurb that's written and in terms of what you have to do that's borrowed particularly from clash of the titans when you fight medusa because you have to get the shield and that's how he and that's how perseus actually defeats medusa but in you know but in this particular version they've just nicked kind of it's kind of cherry-picked bits of greek mythology and from films really and thrown it into this game and does that kind of work i don't know and also what's confusing about this is that it's myth it's called myth history in the making but none of this is based on history this is all based on mythology yeah. so there's nothing to do with it. it's nothing to do with history whatsoever hey ho anyway we'll move we'll move on after you're, after that level you're on to Norse legends and a very nice visual effect i give it credit where credit's due so you're on the deck of a long Viking longboat and you're now fighting Viking warriors while the waves crash, there's crashing sounds, the wind blows with a big sail and there's lightning flashes in the sky that is a really nice level yeah. really nicely designed works really well um and it looks really effective. I think that's, you know, it, if you're going to design a level for a game of this type, that's really good. Eventually, after much fighting, a bird will flap down and you kill that. It will release a coin, which transports you to land. If you didn't get that. <laughs> you mean <laughs> you, mean you get didn't that. get that from that? <laughs> Here in the deep forest, you must fight against Cyclops. Cyclops in Viking land, um, which is not, uh, you know, some kind of uh, novelty book. Um, anyway, I think the Cyclops. So you got to fight what looked like Cyclops to me. So run, stab, fight, etc., etc. Eventually, you'll come across a woman being burned at the stake and haunted by ghosts, which looks remarkably like the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, funny that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you have a torch sort of stick by now, which you can light with a fire, and then you have to ward the demons off of it. You rescue her, and she will imbue you with some kind of magic, which you have no idea what it does up until the very end of this level. Anyway, you'll go yep. onwards, and you'll come across a fire-breathing dragon, which you need to battle. Actually, you don't need to battle and kill it. You'll never know that but you actually just have to chop it, put an hole in its throat so it ducks its head down so you can jump over it, if you know that. No. So and so, so you'll spend ages trying to think you have to kill this dragon by trying to chop its head off or kill it. You can't. It's not, it's not actually killable and you'll die trying. What you have to do is chop at its neck so a little tiny little red dot appears on its neck like a blood hole and then and then it can't raise its head. Then you can actually jump right over the top of it. Stupid, isn't it? That. Mm, yeah. um, and uh, when you do jump over it, then you'll just fly off because the magic that you were imbued with from the burning woman just suddenly appears around you and you just fly off upwards just get take off it's like hey, up, <laughs> off you go <laughs> so yay it's like oh yay okay you'll land in another magic world of floating platforms that you must jump and navigate you'll be attacked by mini dragons and periodically a viking will just sort of appear and disappear you'll find a castle and and you'll eventually realize that there's a guy that keeps popping out and throwing axes at you you can't beat that guy you won't know that at the time and you'll die trying but you can't beat that guy because the actual entrance you need is further up the castle so you just have to climb further up yeah but again you won't know that so it's essentially a different door. When you get up to that point, a uh, Viking pops out and then you'll another one sort of drops down upon you for the one that's been popping in and out, picks you up and transports you to some weird battle arena where you have to defeat Odin, who's kind of just sat in a chair looking grumpy. So you just have to sort of hop your way up to Odin and whack him and bear in mind that this the guy keeps peering and throwing axes at you. But eventually it's not that difficult to do and you'll do that and you're magically transported. And it's Egypt, you're in Egypt now. Egypt. Yes. 
You are. Um, here you've got to head through the desert, avoid snakes and get into the pyramid and then navigate the traps you'll find inside. Somewhat akin to the last crusade, one might say. Um, you'll eventually one come might. across Egyptian warriors to fight and such, walking through the corridors of the pyramid, etc. All that kind of thing. Graphics again, very nice. You'll eventually come across some mummies. Of course there's mummies. You knew that was coming, didn't you? And then you, you have another giant boss to defeat in the shape of a giant head of a pharaoh. So you'll get to go through and go through all of that. Then it's to the final stage, which, and this is what really wound me up, I have to say, is a left to right scrolling shoot em up. Yeah, you sit cross-legged, <laughs> floating around, shooting lasers from your eyes while you traverse and navigate the enemies, such as space jellyfish and green bats. And then all the host of crazy nonsense occurs, and then eventually you'll get to fight Dameron, and then if you shoot him enough times, you win the game. Dameron is a great big graphic, albeit nicely drawn, I get it, but it is just a shoot up at this point. Yep. So and that's kind of myth. That's how it plays out. That's, that's myth the game. There's a lot of things to like in terms of, graphics and things and there's some real niggles with it now let's start with the graphics they're exceptional really lovely pixel shading on pretty much everything great looking sprites really really nice animation on lad it's really top-notch stuff you know we can't argue with that it's animated running and jumping and all those things it's great attention to detail it feels like there's real kinetic movement from him as a character and that feels like you've got good ways of moving around that's nice even the animations of some, some of the enemies are good and generally the way you move around and such all good the scale too, so you feel like there's large enemies and they look kind of big and nice and the shading's good. And that initial Viking level is really clever and a really inventive way of doing it. I really like that, really good stuff. Those are the good things. The controls in this game take a bit of getting used to, and that's because of a really weird, annoying choice they've made. So without the fire button press, left and right move in that direction. Up is a hop jump, which you can then sort of control midair, which is nice because you've got little nuanced jump movement. Okay. Up and left and upright will do either directional jumps or running directional jumps, depending on if you're running or not. Down for some reason. Down is long forward leap. I can't tell you how fucking annoying that is in this game. <laughs> which doesn't just make, it just doesn't make sense. And it will cause you to aim to pick up objects, but instead of picking them up, you'll just leap probably to your death. Yeah. Loads of times you'll do it. Loads of times because your instincts will tell you your natural instinct is to pull down to pick things up as crouch, because mm -hmm. down should be crouch, but it isn't. Down is jump. Since when, in the history of games, has down <laughs> been jump for any reason whatsoever? <laughs> and that simple control error is a real pain in this game and a real problem. Because if you press fire, you're in fight mode, and depending on the weapon selected, which you can do with the space bar and the arrow keys, that will perform certain actions. So up is fire and sort of wait and throw if you've got the daggers later on. Up left is jump kick when facing right. Up right is high punch or weapon blow. Left and fire is a kick in the opposite direction. I'm like, what are you doing here? Right and fire is middle punch or stab. Down and fire is kneel and pick up. Down and fire. And down and fire to the right is low stab. What idiot conceived these controls? What idiot makes down and fire pick up, but down jump? I mean, it's the stupidest because you are bound to make that mistake and get that wrong. And when you're meant to go and pick up the sword or go and pick up, like in the first level, to go and pick, try and pick up the pitchfork, you will make a mistake. You'll press down instead of firing down. You're going to leap and you're just going to leap probably into the fire. And it's, it happens so often. Do you ever need to do the long forward leap? Not really. No, it's not I necessary. Think, I mean, I got through to Medusa and thing beyond. I didn't get past Medusa because I didn't get the heal, but I, I didn't. I didn't. Don't think I did a long forward leap anywhere. You don't need it. I went right through this game and never used it once. Apart from it, apart from in error. Should just be pick up. Yes, it should. It's convoluted because of that reason, and I'm sure. I mean, I don't know why the controls were done that way. And then also, it's in that back to front kind of way. So if you press fire into the left, it kicks to the right. I mean, what? Why? Why do we like that? Why? What is the logic? I mean, these are the guys that made IK Plus. Well, not the guys, but the production team. You know, it's not like they haven't mastered fighting moves on a joystick or somebody hasn't mastered it. So they've got a benchmark for that. It's just it takes some getting used to. And and I have to tell you, 
it's a mistake you will make all the time because it's just instinctive to press down quickly to pick things up. Not And that doesn't, it just jumps. So you never pick them up and then you end up jumping into the path of something. And, you know, if your lives are limited or you're at the end of your energy, you're going to die. It's not It's not mm. good, that. Yeah. The central idea of this game is massively confusing. I mean, I get the idea of going through mythology, okay, but through history and time, no. And the convoluted nonsense of that narrative, it doesn't set the scene very effectively for anything you end up doing in the game at all. So because of that, you have no clue what you're doing and you have no clue of the purpose. You know you've got to defeat Dameron, but why? It's never mm-hmm. really explained. You don't know what, he's apparently rewrite history, but he hasn't, it's all mythology. So there's no history being rewritten. It makes it no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's, it's all, all made up. It makes no sense. It's all made up. The core lines are all blurred in this. If the game is set in a world of myths and magical creatures, what has history got to do with it anyway? You know, the game is pictured as a lad with fantasies being somehow catapulted into a mythic realm to correct history. It makes no sense whatsoever. And because it makes no sense, the game direction makes no sense. So the level designs make no sense. So the levels make no sense. So the game makes no sense. That's a big problem because you've got all this lovely graphics and all this lovely animation in a game and a game design that perhaps leans on something that is complete gibberish. And that gibberish permeates everything about everything in this game to the point when you're hitting Odin with a stick, whether you're rescuing a woman on fire and she imbues you with magic so you can jump over a dragon that you've injured in the neck. It's all stupid, stupid stuff that makes no (laughs) sense contextually. None. So, and also the level designs are generally platform hops in this. There's a lot of platform hopping about. That isn't very exciting. I mean, I guess it makes for slowing down the action of the levels so you can't just run across the level. But I would have preferred to just be running and fighting, I think, in this game with the occasional jumping, not having to navigate complex platforms. It's akin to Ghosts and Goblins in a way. Yeah. And I think it it sort of leans on that idea. But the things you need to do are so obtuse on the whole that it's not Ghosts and Goblins. This is, you know, it's clueless. Why would you think to drop a skull in a fire to summon a, summon that demon? What? Why would you think that? Why would, you know, you do it by accident. There's no clue. I mean, I know it's probably in the instructions, I think it does tell you how to do level one. Well, of course the instructions tell you to go how to go through all the way through level one. And that, for me, is always a sign of like, we saw it with, the, was it Tusker? Exactly. I was going to say, they did exactly the same thing with Tusker. They, you know, and this has the same problems as Tusker. Yeah. In the sense yeah, that, does. you know, some, some of the clues and the and things you have to do are so obtuse that it, it doesn't make any sense and you, you wouldn't instinctively do them. Um, I think you I think in Tusker there was a point when you had to kick one of the treasure boxes to open it when you haven't had to kick anything to open it because kick yeah. is a fighting thing. Or go, stuff hack, like down, that, so. or go hack down the, the reeds at the back of the hut, which you've never had exactly. to do. It's like, uh, so why would you drop a skull in a fire? Why would you think of whacking a statue on the ankle? Why would you wait for a bird to drop a coin? And then... Don't even get me started on the invisible platform hopping on the Egypt level, which is terrible. So when you get to the pyramid, you've got to climb up the pyramid on invisible platforms. So you can't see them. So you're okay. just so you're sort of jumping you're just jumping in the dark, just blindly hoping you'll land on one. And if you don't, you'll fall back down and it's back up again. It's just stupid. Really stupid and frustrating game design. Mm-hmm. There's no music in the game either, which I think hinders more than helps the flow of this. The sound effects are occasionally okay, sort of conks, bonks, banks, and booms and things like that. Some good filtering in there but not enough of them to make this game feel anything other than over-silent, which is a problem we've had with a few of the games this week. Yeah, it's been a quiet week. Add to that, add to all of that, a terribly weak final level. Why boil the game down to a pretty crappy shooting after all that fancy stuff? It makes no sense, but it does make sense in the context of this game that makes no sense. All that mythical stuff... Why do you end up as a shooting, sort of cross-legged, flying through space, shooting fireballs from your eyes? Why? Why, why did they Rome? do that? Why didn't they do Rome? Why, why aren't you fighting some some more of the Titans, the Kraken, or any one of those things that would yeah. make sense in a game where he's obsessed with mythology? It makes no sense to end this game in space, a version of space, 
fighting a giant face. It's really weird. So off all that mythological stuff, I, I just don't get it. I don't get this final level. To me, it felt like a complete afterthought. Like they didn't have an ending for this crazy thing because the narrative in the story that's in the instructions has no ending either. It's just, no. it, doesn't, it doesn't say, and in order to defeat Dameron, you must, just says you're going to have to confront him. So that could be anything, couldn't it? Graphically, again, at this point, Bob Stevenson showing some really good pixel painting stuff in terms of the final enemy, but it's hiding a really, really weak game. So your mileage is going to vary with this. On the one hand, it looks nice and the music is really great at the start. Some good, good tunes. The graphics and animation are good. Really nice pixel painting all the way through. On the other hand, convoluted controls, obscure puzzles, repetitive gameplay, and a really boiling down to a very disappointing shooter in a story that makes no sense, in a game design that makes no sense, in a world that makes no sense, in a game that is nonsense. <laughs> now, I can see why, now, I, on a twist of it, I can see why it got the score it did, which was 94% on the Sizzler in Zap. I can see why it got the, the score because... Yeah, it got high scores across the board. Well, the C64 is dying at this stage, isn't it? There's not a lot of dedicated software left coming out. System 3 have remained committed to the machine. Fair play to them for that. It looks and sounds good from a production viewpoint, and I guess there is a chunk of game to go at, and it looks like a nice game. Plenty of whacking mm -hmm. and sword fighting to do, so maybe that's, you know, if you look at it as of a game of its time in a, in a sea of limited releases, maybe it's, you know, maybe they're just heralding what they've got. I think you alluded to that a couple of weeks ago where you said maybe they're just, you know, the games are getting thin on the ground, so you've got to kind of, when the good one, the, the, the average to good ones are, you know, graphics, let's give them a pat on the back and, you know, give them a bit of a boost. And there are good yeah. things, like I said, the, ga the game content here, sprites, locations, monsters, you know, but the improvement, well, it's game design, isn't it? It's a stupid story and it fizzles into nothing at the end, which is a great shame because I think there's the bones of a better game in here somewhere. And so I was, I like the music, I like the look, I'm frustrated and disappointed with what becomes, and they did this with Dominator as well, which becomes a really silly game at the end of it all. What did you think? Yeah, it's a strange one, myth, isn't it? Just to say, Peter Barron, I mean, he did, um, to, to make maybe some contextual sense of the final level squad and shoot map he did the conversion of salamander yeah yeah makes so, sense so you could see like oh well what are we going to do well I've, I've done salamander so i know how to do a left to right squad it's easy enough put some graphics in we'll shoot it okay yeah it's probably easier than doing yeah. a, another platforming level and because it's a multi-part level because they're all multi-part levels apart from the last one out there so yeah um yeah. whatever um what what do i think of myth it's, you are myth or something. I mean, yeah, let's get the the good out of the way. Presentation on this is excellent. As you've rightly said, great animation and shading on the backdrops, very nice and detailed sprites all over the place. You can't knock it. Bob Stevenson's work is, you know, top tier um, in, a, in a sea of like expanded um, altered beast sprites that we've seen this, you know, Mm. when somebody does get hold of the c64 who can pixel paint really nicely and do really good animation it shows and it is really nice the variety is also impressive um i think you know with like i said multi-part levels that are all quite different with lots of different things going on the best works in the first two levels i think um so um greek greece and the norse levels mm. i think the bit on the yeah. boat is exceptionally good although you know don't play that if you've got some from epilepsy maybe um but the actual visuals and across all those elements i, I thought egypt wasn't so good um it's a bit more busier on the eye yeah, um, yeah. and it doesn't look Shading's quite nice. it doesn't, doesn't look at nice yeah but i just didn't think it was quite nice and weirdly like i said the, the last level turned to the horizontal shooter for some reason which i can't quite figure out maybe it's peter baron's that i could do this okay fair enough i think also the problem with a lot of these games um that from that time just being too damn obtuse as you've rightly said yeah it's too obtuse. You know this is the case, like I said, when they put the initial solution to the first part of the game in the instructions, and even then it doesn't make any sense. Like, A, okay, 
fight an indeterminate amount of skeletons to get a sword, then chop down the skeleton hanging up before fighting another skeleton near the lake of the fire to pop its head into the lake, whereupon a demon will arise it can only kill with laser fire to get a trident to kill Cerberus. Yeah. What? <laughs> I know you've outlined yeah, that, but exactly. it needs to be outlined again because that sequence of events is so illogical and so unguessable yep. and so down to luck that it doesn't make any sense. Um, the game needs pointers to this. Um, okay, so maybe this is some, I don't know, maybe some Greek myth that I never read upon. I mean, I never studied. I never studied. And then in the following <laughs> section, you need to attack the heel of the Titan to get a shield to take out the Medusa. If the heel, all they had to do was have the heel of the Titan glint. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all they had to do. Just a little glint yeah. to bring your eye to it and go, oh, and then you'd hit it and you'd get the clunk sound and you'd be like, oh, yeah. it's hitting it. And then all your, it's such a simple little thing. And I know it's 1989 and stuff like that, but we've seen better things like this. That, like, what didn't, um, oh, uh, Neuromancer, did that have glinting things? Frankie goes to Hollywood. That had flashing items to pick up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not load, hard to do, is it? Loads of games highlight objects that you can interact with. Yep. You know, it's yep. simple. So why not just make the heel glint? I don't know. Yep. Uh, so... And really annoying. That said, uh, and so that's the problems with this and the controls. Like you said, I found myself jumping at times I didn't want to, jumping backwards when I didn't mean to, floating around, yeah. trying to attack. I found swapping so, like some. I don't understand because you've got to select the weapons with left and right, and then press space to activate them. Yep. Why? Good question. Why is the question? Surely you just I'm just should just be attacking with the weapon I've got at hand. Just flick it in. Yep. No one cares yeah. if a sword just appears. Just change you go to change the, it instantly, yeah. Yeah, just change instantly. I don't, I don't need another button press. It's another It's another step in making this. And you don't want to be reaching, you're getting attacked by skeletons. You don't want to be, and you, that thing that keeps flopping around and then you run out of fireball juice. So you have to go find another, some more fireball juice yep. from somewhere else. And it's a pain in the ass. So that's painful. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, you have to praise the production around it because the music in the start is great. The intro is nice. It's got a great that I don't understand that loading screen as well, which looks like something from another game where it's like a big, massive Norse guy attacking someone with an axe. Yeah, I don't get that. That's the front cover of the uh, manual as well. Yeah. So, that's the, and that's the the Amiga one has that in it, I think. But I but you, in the Amiga one, you're not uh, by the looks of the screenshots, you're not a you're not a lad. Are no, you you, you, pl- you play as that character. You play as yeah. the warrior. Whereas this, you're always the lad. The lad, yeah. The sort of you the, know, lad the guy with, with the silver yeah. tongue. <laughs> So you praise the production, you know, like I said, although those sensitive flashing lights might not agree, the storm sequence on the boat is pretty impressive and a really nice sequence. I think th- there is an interesting game here with some nice presentation, but but you're right. It needed some guidance for the player to aid them, and it needed a, co- a coherent story, a more coherent storyline than the gibberish we got yep. to hang it all together. And that would have exactly been too right. hard. That would not have been too hard to do. No. I mean, if you'd have given me said, "Oh, we need this game. We need a story." Right? Okay, I'll give you that in about ten minutes. You know, yeah, you've been I transport. Mean, you've been transported back in time because somebody, some evil demon in the, from the future, is 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 trying to attack the, the Greek myths, and we we, we don't yeah. want to lose them. There you go. Who well, cares? You just have to fight. You know, you fight your way through the myths or time bandits. You know, that kind of idea. Yeah, so. exactly. You don't need all that gibberish, and it makes no, no sense. I would. The one thing I would say about this, and it's the thing about what Miyamoto. Just going back to like the original Legend of Zelda. And one of the things about that was that there was no 
It was very obtuse. There was no guidance. People just found stuff out. And and, we, and I can we maybe forget at the times that we took. You know, we have the internet at our fingertips. So finding solutions to stuff in games nowadays is a piece of business. We can put on YouTube or we go to Game Facts or whatever. Back then, these kind of games would have. You know, this would have been a game that a lot of people played. We were either getting copies of it or buying it or whatever. So you you the schoolyard chats would have been your internet and stuff. And so that you know, oh, I know how to get the, the past the thing and. I think there's a there's a there's a reliance on that which I think some games back then do and we can't I mean we kind of forget a little bit about that. It's my motive stated. He went. I wanted to put secrets in the Legend of Zelda that no one would find. You'd only find them if you talk to someone who happened to find it. And it's a it was a game yeah, of the eighties. So you know there is that, but I, I still think that just put a glint on the bloody thing is eel. Mm. Um, it's it, it's nice to see you know some nice graphics and stuff. And I think also like you said and what we said before. The, the notion that this gets its high grade across the board. Most of the magazines gave it a, a high grade. There's only your computer, I think, that when they re-reviewed it, give it a low score, um, or well, 60-odd. That it is a case of we need to praise the few decent games that are coming out now. Um, and, and, mm. and, and, and you know, and it's still better than Batman and Untouchables, in my opinion, um, which are, you know, low points of whatever. Because uh, in, a, in a year when we've seen some real cacola, this is at least, it, it is, you know, it has some quality behind it even if it's just a bit misguided in places. It's, it's almost there. And I think, like you said, with some coherency around the thinking around it, it's going to be a real classic. But it's just a bit mm. but it's just a bit misguided in some of the options, the controls um, and the, the narrative to hang it around. They've tried too much, too much narrative. We often, but, you know, I don't know. It's just a bit, it's an almost. And it, it could have been so good, this game, but I just think it's not, not it's, it's just a bit faltering in some areas. But Yep. So I think pretty much sort of what you said, really, in not in not so many words. There we go, myth. It's a it's it's not quite a hit, but it's not quite a myth. It's a hit or myth, yeah. <laughs> Is it hit or myth? Mostly myth, I think. <laughs> Mostly myth. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, there we go. That's it. That's it. The year's done. We're done. Woo. But for this week, we looked at the amazing stunt car racer. We did. Which is properly clever. I'm still amazed that it's just lines and then working out which bitmaps to fill in. That's incredible how to do the tracks. Cleverly using the, the way that bitmaps work in the binary, the, the way that they output colors using binary. It's clever. Very clever. So clever. clever. That's, yeah. It's either yeah. blue or brown or blue or gray or blue or green. Yeah, yeah, it's just clever. It's really clever. Then the technical explanation's all out there. It's really amazing. And all you're doing is just drawing lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. Amazing. Absolutely crazy. Uh, action fighter. No action. No fighting. No. And you're riding a hot dog sausage. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Altered beast. You look like a hot dog sausage in expanded form. Not good, that. Boring. Not good at all. Battle chess. Decent enough chess game. Yeah, decent enough chess, yeah. Spitfire. Should have sent a bomber. Yeah, and it's two quid. So It yeah. is two quid. Kick off to just go off, to just something off. Yeah. Um, and myth. More myth than yeah. hit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I think we've got a few of those, haven't we? Spitfire is more spit than fire. <laughs> kick off is more off than kick. Yeah. And myth is more myth than than hit. Yeah. And action, like fi- it, yeah. action fighter is no action or fighting. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's a broken oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's just the moron part. <laughs> Budget re-release this Graham, if you wanted to know, was Rampage for two ninety nine. I wouldn't have bothered with it. I hated it. We didn't like it when we looked at it, did we? Bit no, broken. Crap. We've got some crap verts if you want to look at them. Two bin. I remember two bin in the arcade. It's just that's not a very good image though. 
It's the guy in the back. <laughs> oh dear. It's, it's an unfortunate splash, isn't it? Or whatever it is. What's that meant to be? What is that? I don't What's know. He He's got his hand in a dubious place and there's... <laughs> So this is like the grin in his face. So this is actually like the. I had a look at the arcade cabinet, and this is kind of the similar sort of visuals to the arcade cabinet. So fair enough. The monkey's paws are are weirding me out around that flag thing. (laughs) Yeah, they are a bit weird. It's got three fingers. Yeah, well, I think they're its feet. I think they're its toes, and its hands are at the top. But it's just the the angle; its head's coming out. That doesn't work for me. There's something weird going on there. But it's the guy in the back. Um, <laughs> just so I was like, yeah. uh, someone should have noticed that and just thought maybe airbrushed him out. <laughs> yeah, because what's he? Is he bounced a can off his penis? What's he doing there? <laughs> I don't know. It looks like he's having a pee, <laughs> and he's and he's hit a can that was in the water that's gone over yeah, the main guy's head. It does a bit. There's such overuse of sort of shading in that that it's it's really weird. It's like they've, they've just discovered Illustrator's like gradient tool. Yeah, massively. Just, the gradient shaded the shit out of everything. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, he's on, a, it's on an inner tube, shade it. It's got, what about the crocodile? Shade it. But the, <laughs> but the monkey, well, just make it brown, but make sure you shade its fingers. It's like the, overshaded. But the guy in the back, he's on a t- he's on a tube, so shade it. Well, now it looks like a donut. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's hiding a donut, then shade the water, make sure that's gradient shaded. Re- gradient shade the sky, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Monkey's eyes, gradient shade them. The, and the f- then for reasons that nobody can explain, draw the logo with the pen tool. I'll oh, just and I'm and, and honestly, Adrian, when I looked at that logo there, I was like, that has all the hallmarks of a an emboss, like a wiggly emboss. <laughs> well, it's the same as the arcade, so but I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, but, that's, that's, but that I, doesn't I mean like, it's good. I don't like this sort of uncolored "Let's Go" bit at the top. <laughs> I don't know because that's an afterthought, isn't it? And it's a naff font as well. Yeah, so, don't fit the main then, one. No, no, because then it's gone to a. a, a serif font like a times roman font underneath and then it's got another variation of font of that you're mixing your fonts again never yeah. good that never, <laughs> never good. good never good there you go that's tubing i'm sure we'll see that soon um the next one <laughs> oh, laugh laugh. do you think this is Can from gremlin s- graphics <laughs> could they put it more in the background I think it's growing graphics. I don't get why it says, can you survive the shark attack? Well, Greg Norman was known as the Great White Shark in golf. Why? Because that was his nickname in golf. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Okay, so they found a picture of him where he vaguely looks like a shark because he's baring his teeth. The picture's bit, awful. Yeah, I've not seen a worse picture than we saw with that Kenny Daglish one. Um, that's, that's but, weird, that. But this the background, it's just a nightmare. And then they've put that yellow, small yellow text over that background. Yeah, that's going to hurt your brain, that. <laughs> Why does it need so much Gremlin graphics software on it? Why It's, like, it's got the logo on it. I don't know, in rainbow-coloured oh, font stuff going on at the background. I don't understand it. No, and they've got you've got the, the writing at the top has got drop shadow in grey. <laughs> oh, it's making me angry looking at it. <laughs> and they've even got a red outline on that typeface. I mean, that's just... Why don't they just slap me across the face and call me an idiot? <laughs> and also... I mean, the they ulti- have just... Honestly, they have just done a crap on my chips right there. <laughs> don't you like the ultimate golf box? No. With its, <laughs> I like nothing with its on that. grey shading in the back and then a, and then a grey drop shadow again. It's grey drop shadow on a horrible naff kind of uh, stroke. It's got a, it's got a gradient stroke. No, those words aren't good words. Nobody should really ever use the gradient stroke for anything. No, really, not it, this day and age. And ever. it's impossible to read that blurb, isn't it? It's just impossible. Yeah, you can't read that. But what is it? What is it? It's entirely writing over text. It's impossible. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's sponsored by McDonald's as well. The corporate shill. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, it's a really bad advert. Why couldn't they get a better picture of him? I don't know. 
I don't know. It's not a great picture, that, at all. No. <laughs> if he went... it looks a bit like Doctor Who. He looks like Peter Davison's Doctor Who, doesn't he, a little bit? <laughs> I don't know what he looks like. If he had question marks on the on the um, on his uh, collar of his shirt, he'd look like Doctor Who, like Dave, Peter Davison. You, you Google Fair it enough. and you'll see. It's a bad advert, though. I looked at it. And went, it ain't oh, good. That's bad. However, I'm not buying might, that game. No, it might not prepare you for the next one. <laughs> what on earth is going on here? <laughs> Goodness gracious! Great balls of fire! Rock and roll! What is it? I don't know, but it's tops for action, skill, and great music. <laughs> This is a Rainbow Arts game. What what the hell is it? I don't know. I don't know. So, I'm trying to figure out what that is. Is that, a, is that a bronze statue? Is that a man riding a guitar playing Sprout? Uh, I think so, yeah. Like a, like a bronze Sprout. And he and he's, looks like he's firing a light switch. Uh, he's firing a musical note out of the guitar, riding across some kind note, of blue thing. Yeah, if you look on that? the side, yeah, it's a double it's a double clef, whatever. It's a oh, yeah, two yeah, notes yeah, down. Yeah. Just, yeah, 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 see it now. Yeah. Goodness but, me, and he's, play, well, he's playing a lute, and he's not an electric guitarist, or maybe it is just. I don't know what, what the hell is. is that. Why what? is he holding his crotch? <laughs> what is he? What is it? I don't know. Look at his What's facial expression. What's the game called? Uh, I guess it's rock and roll, is it? Maybe. Is it goodness gracious, great balls of fire with no punctuation, uh, which is annoying. What the hell is that? I can't read the writing to even see what that's even about. I've but never t- heard of that game. No, <laughs> I saw that. I was like, "What's that V thing on the on the right there behind the screenshot? What's the background? What's he flying over? It's like a well, it, a blue it's circuitry. <laughs> is it? Is it circuitry? It looks like a blanket. No, no, behind that is circuitry. Oh, what? So you've the, got circuitry in the main background. Then you've got the wall, his, yeah. But what's that sort of blue duvet. undulating it's a duvet? Blue, yeah, blanket. It's, it's, it's a blue duvet. It's the blue vey. <laughs> and he's he's an orange statue of a man holding his crotch, riding a guitar, playing Sprout, With, firing musical notes. And there's a giant drumstick there, isn't there, at the front, I think. Is it? Um, Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't. Or is it a conductor's baton? I don't know. That is the strangest thing. The rock and roll font is obtusely 3d as well but it runs out of 3d at the left so it's like starts off mega 3d and then it's like ah oh, we can't sustain this perspective just cut it off at the bottom it'll look 3d-ish anyway it'll look all right yeah it's crap absolute crap and look at the top where it says goodness gracious great balls of fire you know they've just double double lined it and put one a white under like a white copy of the actual right and just and offset it by about six pixels never do that never do it it's crap. It's, it's worse than drop shadow to do that. It's blurrow vision, and it's a naff thing to do. Rubbish. They've, they've done it Absolute for that tops for action. And that, they've done it for that. And I hate this phrase: tops for action, skill, and great music. Uh, I bet it isn't as well. We never even are we going to come across that. What's it look like? Uh, it's on. Uh, it's on CBM sixty four. Never know. heard of that game. Rock no. and roll. What's it, Rock what's your it way around like? thirty two. What's it say? Something enormous levels of action packed fun and tantalising skill in the lively sounds of the latest rock beat, to the lively sounds of the latest rock beats. Show your skill Never over, reviewed in Zap. Show your skill over treacherous precipices, irritating valve systems, and tantalising teleport pads. Arm yourself with bombs, spiked parachutes, and shields, and let yourself submerge into a world of fantastic animation and mind-blowing sounds. It won't be long before, you're, before you've sold your soul to rock and roll. Apparently, the game itself, looking at it on Lemon, um, is uh, it was never reviewed in Zap. It's got it's graphics by Andrew Andreas Escher. It's a Rainbow Arts game, and it's got music by Ramiro Vaca. He did the uh, Turrican on the C sixty four. But okay. never got it's never been reviewed in Zap, so we will probably never review it at least in context of the magazine, such as it is. And it looks odd, really odd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
It's weird, isn't it? I'd look for a story. I was like, what the hell is it? I couldn't make it out. It took me ages to look at it going, eh? Oh, there we go. I don't know. Three Mm. interesting but ultimate crap, crap verts. There we Mm. go. Absolutely. Let's get to the chart. Our final chart of the year for December 1989. Uh, Do the countdown from 10. Uh, uh, Down to number 10 is Emlyn Hughes, International Soccer. Um, Up to number nine is Indiana Jones and the Clumpy Clumpers, Last Crusade. Um, (laughs) New entry at number eight is Robocop. Sure, it's not a new entry. It's been in before. Um, New entry at number seven is Top Gun. Oh, my Lord. Jesus Christ. People bought it. Utterly crap. Yeah, well, they bought it on the strength of the name. This is the problem with these things. Yep. You know, this is. is what we said. Down to number six is Shinobi. Uh, new mm, entry okay. on the Encore label, but number five is the Paperboy. Never liked it, but on budget, it's not bad. Yeah, down to number four is Pit Stop 2. Uh, that's, that's a good. worthy purchase. One, though. Uh, in a, well, staying at number three is Whizball. That's another good uh, budget. Uh, new entry at number two is Crazy Cars. Sure, we've seen that before as well. Um, and a new entry at number one is Batman the Movie. Mm, well, surprise, surprise, that's number one. Yeah. Uh, going down from 11, uh, 11 is Altered Beast. Good Lord. Uh, if you want a better version of that, at number 12, we've got Ghosts and Goblins, and it's, yep. eight, and it's eight quid cheaper at this point, or well, seven Way quid better. cheaper. Uh, new entry at number 13 is Strider. Mm, dear. Uh, new entry at 14, well, we've seen this one there as well, Enduro Racer. Oh, oh good dear. World Series Baseball at number 15, it's a new entry. No, it's down, right. to, down to 16 was APB. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Ninja was at 17. Okay. Um, Theatre Europe is down to number 18. What? That must be a budget re release. Um, okay. Down to number 19, Postman Pat, and a new entry right. at number 20 is Short Circuit. You know what? Just to come back, actually, just something that reminds me. You know, Myth? Myth. Nah. Um, isn't that isn't it the same plot as what we saw in uh, Renegade 3? I don't remember the plot for Renegade 3. Where you're going through time, weren't you, to beat up? Oh, yeah, probably. It's very yeah. similar. In Renegade very 3, similar. you travel through time beating stuff up. Yeah. yeah. And one of the, in yeah, one of the yeah. levels is Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they always do that. They're the Greek, Egypt, they always go. Yeah, 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 it's similar. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. And then I think in the in the final level, you're in the future. Yes, I think so, but I, I don't remember. But yes, I have a feeling you're right. Renegade, Renegade yeah, Three. Yeah. There you go. Myth. Yeah, no surprise. Well, it's not exactly the same. It's the principally time-based game, but yeah, you know, four but, four, yeah. Le- four levels of combat through sort of different time periods through, sort of. through mythical realms. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, and that's it. That's it for 1989. Um, we have done. That's quite nice. We're done. So next week, uh, we'll have the Breadbin Awards. We will. That'll be interesting. I think there'll be some interesting awards in there, some interesting discussion to be had about the games from 1989. Um, so looking forward to doing that. Um, and we'll also, like you said, we'll see what we said about 1989, and that'll be quite interesting. Um, mm. what we were looking forward to and we'll have a look forward to see I'm not going to do what we've got coming up in the next issue um, because obviously we can do that next week um, but yeah so 1990 beckons a new decade it does a new dawning it does I should share my thoughts on 1989 when we do the bread bins I'm actually I'm mercifully glad to see the back of it actually because mm. there's been some utter shite in that year and <laughs> sure occasional, occasional well. glimmer so, uh, but you know what, 1990, we know there's going to be a lot less, but let's, you know, we'll discuss that when we do the bread bins maybe, but yeah. um, at least it's, you know, we finally got there and it's taken quite a few episodes to get through. There's been some, there's been a lot to get through in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've done four and a half years now, but I think we'll, we'll save our thoughts on what it's been like just to sort of cover yep. the latter yep. half of the 1980s 
um, for next week. So yep. that, I think that'd be quite an interesting chat and discussion and we'll see how we feel. Mm. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's next week. Um, if you want to support us to keep going, we've still got, I worked it out. Uh, Zap goes up to November 9th, November 92. Okay. So we've still got nearly three years worth of mags to go through yet. Hey. <laughs> I don't know what it's like mean. by the end. I, I have no idea. I've looked not at many games. That's for not, sure. not many. No, I don't think there's going to be much back up to that point, but it does give us, I mean, that's just still plenty. So there's still plenty to get through yet. So we ain't going anywhere for a there's while. Plenty of magazine, there's plenty of magazines, but a lot of those are going to be re-releases in them. So. Yeah, there are. So it'll be interesting to see how it progresses through the next, obviously it's yeah. last three years of its life. Um, but you know, that's all to come. Um, if you wish to support us to keep going through those periods, you can do that. You can head over to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. If you, oh, you won't be able to hear it by now, it'll be too late. We'll have recorded it. But if you had done that, um, you could have joined us on the <laughs> Breadbin Awards. It'll be too late by the time you hear this because we'll yep, have recorded our Breadbin Awards by the time you hear this. Um, so who knows what that will be. Um, but do it anyway. If you want to go to get in on the, the discussions, on the Discord, and the high scores, charts, and all those kind of things that we do, get the episodes early and ad-free. That's cool. Go there. It's patreon.com forward slash up to the past. Or throw us a coffee if you want at kopi.com. It's up to the past forward slash up to the past. Like us on Twitter, all those kind of things. I'm not as active on X at the moment. Um, I've just been very, very busy with work. But I'm always happy to get mentioned. And if someone wants to chat or you want to throw some out, that's all cool. And yeah, anything like that, just do it. But I think I'm going to leave it there because I think we're going to have much more chat next week. Mm-hmm. We are. We are indeed. We are indeed. Do you got anything you wish to add before we sign off? No, no, no. I think I'm just going to take a bit, a bit of a rest. This has been a very long episode. It's going to be a. It's going to be. It's an epic one before the final. So this will be a three hours plus easy. Yeah. yeah so I'm let's uh, let's get that get that sorted. Get it produced and. Let's get this to our wonderful listeners so they can be getting angry with the controlsing myth just like we did. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so on that note, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And this episode, I think, has been more myth than hit. And we <laughs> yes. will see you again for the Breadbin Awards next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.